welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Michael. Hello. And Jason. Hey, everyone. What's up, guys? How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How about you, Michael? How are Man, you? I'm just happy to be here. Yeah. Stupid COVID too, and yeah. like family drama shit, like keeping me from podcasting. So I'm glad to be here. We've been on a little break, but it's good to be back. I mean, they don't know that. We didn't have to tell them. Yeah, we're not going to miss any episodes because we're dedicated podcasters. Right. We always try to keep a few in the can. The power of planning. For you, it's because you plan. I'm, <laughs> I'm not ever planned for <laughs> so this. So we have finished our Western Odyssey. That book is closed. I'm sure we'll revisit Westerns one day down mm-hmm. the road in some capacity. So some of you may be relieved or sad that we're done with Westerns. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yes, right in. Let us know what you think. It's our first foray that was far away from horror for a while. Hopefully it went well. Oh. I had fun. Mine was pretty close to horror, I thought. Yeah, it's debatable. Let's not Dustin be- just thought it was horrible. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't discuss your movie now. My movie? Uh-uh. This no, isn't my movie. Maybe we shouldn't discuss the, your movie that you picked for the Western block. Oh, right, sure. Because Dustin's already... Oh, he's <laughs> yeah. already been canceled. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right, so we have another listener episode this time. Woo! Continuing our trend, giving us a break from what we've been doing to cool down, calm down. Check out something else. I don't know if I was excited or just had like a Tourette's moment. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> Do you, man. I'm not going to judge. Yeah. Um, so today we are checking out Come True from 2021, directed by Anthony Scott Burns. And this was suggested to us by one of our followers over on Twitter, Urban Groucho. Urban yeah. Groucho. Yay, Urban Groucho. We want to say thanks, man. Big shout out to you for suggesting this one. Um, he mentioned another one, too, that we really wanted to check out. But it's weird. Like, it's in other countries right now to stream, but not in the U.S. yet. Hmm. There's some right stuff going on. So we filed that one away. Yeah. We'll get back to that we'll one. We'll come back to it Yeah, one we day. try to make sure that the stuff is available. You know, like... We, Fairly. Right. It was... Somewhat. A cult, at least, you know, had... You could watch it. Mm-hmm. But, like, that one was going to be tricky. Yeah. So. So we'll file that away for another day. But first, like always, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been watching. And um, I don't have a podcast shout-out this time because I want to do something a little different. Let's <gasps> go mix it up. <laughs> Recently, we received our first honest-to-goodness bit of fan mail. Yay! Full-length, full drawn-out missive sent to our email. And uh, in honor of the occasion, and since this is a listener episode and we love our listeners, I thought it was worthwhile to just read it and share it. Yes. Discuss it for a Let's minute. I've already written a reply because in the scheme of how these things are delayed, it would take forever if we just answered it on air. Yeah. So I've replied to them. It's cool, but we're just going to celebrate it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So this is from Cliffy. And it says, hey, guys, this episode was amazing, as I'm sure you know. I appreciate the more research-heavy episodes like this one or the history of pink films, so please don't be shy about doing more super deep dives in the future. Awesome. So that's pretty cool to me because the first thing is... I'm just going to take this paragraph by paragraph, by the way. Sure. But, Wait, which movie was he talking about? Did we establish uh, that? So it was one of the first ones we did. I can't quite recall. It's whatever episode I mentioned the Shaw Brothers on a ton. I'm just going to... Pretend that he means all of them. <laughs> well, actually, I didn't know that the show was awesome, so I'm really glad that he told us this. Yes, yes thank you. Great to know. <laughs> thank you. Um, and I never know if people will care when I do those crazy deep dives, so it's cool to know that at least there's one person out mm-hmm. there that's like, yes, sure. this was cool to there's me. another weirdo like you out there, at least one. Uh, they continue, other than that, I'm writing about two other topics you mentioned on this episode, Shaw Brothers and Westerns. So it was probably the episode leading into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my partner got me the Shawscope Volume 1 box set for Christmas, and it's awesome. It's been very cool hearing Dustin go through them on his Watch History segments. 
Uh, Dirty Ho, the last film in the set, is one of my all-time favorites and one of the funniest of the Shaw Brothers pre-Samo Hung era. Awesome. Yes. So that's awesome. Anyone that's going to gift you the Shaw Scope That's a good box partner. Set, yes. Yeah, stick awesome. with that person, I think. Yeah. yeah definitely. That's a keeper. Um, I've not got to Dirty Ho yet, but I'm excited now. That's one of the last ones in the actual Yeah, I think it's the set, final film it? in the set. Sorry. <laughs> he just looks at me and it says, I haven't got to Dirty Ho yet. And I'm like, why are you looking at me? It's, it's the name of the film, man. I know I'm a Dirty Ho. You're being culturally <laughs> insensitive, Michael. Everyone knows I'm a Dirty Ho. <laughs> uh, carrying on, my one caveat about the box set is how much of a sausage fest it is. I would be hard-pressed to pick any 12 Shaw Brother movies at random without hitting at least one that has a badass female lead. Uh, Lady Jia are a major staple of the Wuxia genre as a whole and of the studio specifically. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, Volume 2 will make up for this. Arrow, get at me if you need a curated list. I agree 100%. Mm-hmm. I want some badass strange, ladies. It was a strange... I'm not going to say strange. I, I felt like they just kind of hit hard out of the gate mm-hmm. on that first box set, like to get the sales. Yeah. And maybe show people like, hey, we're going to put together a nice set, you know. Well, like like any entertainment industry, it's dominated by males, but mm-hmm. they should take some pains to highlight the females that yeah. excelled so at it. I, remember, I bet the next set will do that, though. I remember when they did like the licensing deal announcement thing. I think, based on how many were in this set, there's probably going to be at least a second and a third. Mm-hmm. At least, and they might keep doing them, I guess, if they go well. So surely, in the scope of that... Yeah. The we, Shaw we, scope of that. No, the Shaw yeah, scope I, was, of that. I thought it. I thought it. I was glad you said Damn, it. that was awesome. <laughs> Great job, Jason. That's what we have you. <laughs> okay, uh, regarding Westerns, I suspect that you three have already got your picks locked in. Which, obviously, here we are. We're past that now. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but if not, consider Zhang Wen's Let the Bullets Fly. Actually, I've seen that one. Oh, nice. Uh, actually, watch that one anyways. It's really fu- too fun to miss. Uh, while you're at it, you might also check out Samo Hung's Millionaire's Express for a more straight-action comedy. For something made just closer to home, try The Harder They Fall. And it may temporarily justify Dustin keeping his Netflix subscription. <laughs> um so that's cool. I've added all of those to our list. We'll get to them. Wonderful. Some Let point the down bullets the road. fly is actually um, pretty badass, giant fat. Nice. Mm. That's a great title too. Yeah. Love that. Awesome. Uh, and it pretty can... stylized, but it's still cool. Mm. It's very like just oozes cool. Sure. So well, it's got giant fat. Yeah. yeah. I'm there for it. Uh, in conclusion, here uh, as always, look forward to your next episode. Also, tell those kids to get off Jason's lawn. <laughs> Love, Cliffy. Yay. Uh, Cliffy, thank you so much for writing in. We appreciate it a ton. Anyone out there, if you have some random thoughts and musings off of one of our episodes, please write in. Let us know. You can hit us up at uh, genreexposure at gmail.com or at any of our social media places that we yeah, happen to be. Thanks, Cliffy. Thanks so much. We really appreciate that, man. That's awesome. Yep. We get very excited. We when do. something comes in, like even a tweet well, or it's a the, message. And it's also about sharing the love of cinema. And like he suggested a lot of great movies, and yeah. I love that. I love it when someone says, hey, you dig this? Go watch this. That is yes. entirely the reason we right. started. Yeah, that's this. the whole point. Like, I mean, yeah, we're fain assholes. I <laughs> just want to like share our opinions, man. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's how, I mean... Uh, there's so much shit that I've seen due to our movie club that I would have mm. never, ever seen right. yeah. otherwise. Yeah. That's my favorite thing about it. Mm-hmm. All right, so what have you guys been watching? Jason. Me. Oh, I'll go first? Okay. Game yeah. <clears throat> to the gun. Yes. Um, I watched a fun one from Italy mm. by uh, Bruno Mattei. Oh. Strike we Commando. We don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> we can talk about Bruno Mattei. It's okay. all right. Uh, Strike Commando. 1986. Badass title. 
It's a great title. It's like an arcade video game title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it may have been, for that matter. Um, but here's the blurb about it. <clears throat> In the Vietnam War, an American soldier survives a botched mission with help from a group of locals who perceive him as a hero. He's sent back for a reconnaissance mission, only to find his helpers massacred by a brutal Russian soldier. Mm, I just realized right that this uh, is way too... Whoops! Um, <laughs> how do yeah. we keep doing this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, how do they keep doing that, Dustin? Uh, that might be the better that question. That might be the better question. Uh, yeah, so this is obviously a Italian ripoff of Rambo, part two, specifically. Or even like the uh, Chuck Norris movies. Uh, at the time, all the all the nam exploitation, I believe mm-hmm. it's called. I like that you call it nam exploitation. <laughs> that's, that's what it's called, man. It's a subgenre. <laughs> no, but like like not like Vietnam nam. No, you gotta say nam. You gotta you say just nam. Full on nam. Nam exploitation. <laughs> uh, but what one of the things that really interested me in this was that Red Brown isn't it? Okay. And I don't know how familiar you guys are with Red Brown, but he's like, okay. So I used to dog on him a lot because the first thing i saw him in was um space mutiny it was the mst3k episode <laughs> and it's a terrible movie you know <laughs> but the more i've seen him in other things he's in like howling 2 he was in that captain america movie from like 1990 oh nice um he's just got this he it has such a genuine persona like he has a he has a charisma and it's just like this honesty he's got this all shucks gee whiz american you know, boy kind of thing about hmm. him. So I like him in anything he's in. I think he's great. He's pretty good in this. He's, he's a game. He does a lot of cool fights and stuff. Uh, the movie could have been, it was weird being Italian to bring Bruno Mattei. I thought it would have been more violent, right? But there were like hardly any squibs or anything like that. Hmm. You know, the, they needed to up the exploitation factor here. So they, they probably hoped this would play better in America or something. I don't know. So they cut back and all the red stuff. Hmm. But it's still a hoot to watch. It's a lot of fun. Interesting. Yeah. I was trying to search to see Red Brown, and I just typed in Red Brown, and I got, like, color. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 no. That's this not is... him. But, oh, but he was in Yor. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. He's done tons of stuff. Oh, here's Strike Commando right now. Totally badass poster, too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Holy shit, Dustin. Yeah, it's, it's almost like if we weren't on a podcast, we could show people. Oh, they're going to see it. Because <laughs> you're going you're gonna to link it like you yeah, always I will, do I will. with everything. Maybe we can make it the background of the YouTube video. It's <laughs> yeah. like fucking Contra. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, When you described it, that's what I thought of. They had all those arcade games. How many barrels does his gun have? Well, you this know, kind of like five barrels. So, what was the ones like Akari Warriors, where you're just walking up for forever, gunning everyone down? <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty I'm re- much. Like, I'm not usually excited for like when Dustin's going to tag a poster or something, but I'm genuinely excited. Oh no, yeah, for, it's a gorgeous poster. For when people get to see that poster, <laughs> I would love to have shit. it on my wall. That would be amazing. Damn. So it's it's streaming on Amazon Prime right now, so it's pretty easy to see. It's also on Tubi, apparently. Well, there you go. God bless Tubi, man. <laughs> so good. Uh, I'll go next. Mm. I'm going to be Mr. Mainstream this time. I guess. Really? I'm mainstream yeah. too, so it's cool. Uh, okay, oh my cool. God. Uh, I got to talk about the Batman. Uh, that uh, spoiled too much for me. Uh, I won't spoil it, but the I will Batman. say... Yeah. Does he sound like that? Um, Pattinson delivered, man. Yeah? He's the guy. Mm-hmm. He did it. Well, I mean, I love him now. I used mm-hmm. to not. I love him now. 
And that's the thing is, in the wake of this, I've seen so many people being like, oh, the Twilight guy did good. It's like... No, the lighthouse guy. Oh, I don't want to be mean. You know, I'm going to be mean for a second. If you, if you still think he's just the Twilight guy, he's, like, no. crawl out from under the fucking rock and go watch the movies. Or Tenet. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's so good in Tenet. There's actually... He did one of those uh, YouTube things, like GQ, go mm-hmm. where they go through their, their career. And there's a couple of films he did that I hadn't seen or heard of. They were just like super small. I don't think they had a permit to shoot them type of films. <laughs> but God, he was so good. Like in the clips they were showing, yeah. like I just immediately wanted it, to go watch it's it. It's like eventually people will stop thinking of Twilight because it's like Leonardo mm. DiCaprio. Everyone knows he's a good actor. Yeah. You know, no one really talks about like Titanic or any of that older What's stuff anymore. Or the beach. <laughs> Who the hell talks about the beach? The other one I think of is um, Daniel Radcliffe. Mm-hmm. Like the Harry Potter films. Yeah, legit actor. He's mm-hmm. great. I, him and Pattinson have actually said before they don't want any mainstream roles anymore. Like, they basically said, just give me the weird shit. Mm-hmm. Um, Was but, the Batman weird? Well, here's the thing. This is, like, the most haunted and, like, probably darkest portrayal they've done in film of, like, a Bruce Wayne Batman. Like, he's pretty much a Batman that, like, all he wants to do is be Batman at this point. He has no interest in being, like, a, a Bruce Wayne and keeping any kind of, like, normal life at all. Hmm. And you can see, like, when he is Bruce Wayne in the film, he is just, like, you know, bags under his eyes, completely detached, completely He's up all night kicking ass. Yeah. <laughs> they really, like, hammer that point home. And it's, like, the best... To me, it's, like, the best version of Gotham I've ever seen because it's, like... It has a lot of the realism of, like, the Nolan films mm-hmm. where it feels like this could be a real place and it's not quite as, like, cartoony as it can be at times. Mm-hmm. But then it does still have that, like, gothic feel that the Burton film... Got so well the original, you know. Yeah, I love Burton's take on. God so it's like it's always it's always dark. Like even in the daytime, it's perfect cloudy overcast. So it's never there's never total light hardly at all in the film. And like when it's night, it's always raining or it's foggy and dark. And okay. it's just this great vibe and tone to it. Okay. Um, the action is great. Like a lot of the fighting, you could tell they were very informed by like the Arkham video games. Hmm. I know neither of you are much of a no. I've no. game. That's but, I have played every single one of those. Okay, great. So just how like. The motions and the fluidness of the, yeah. the way they move in that, they really like translated that to film, I think. So, that, is it good fight choreography? Can yeah. you actually tell what's going on? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. if, um, that's I'm, one of the things that sold me on those Arkham games. They're just. There's no fucking ramping, is there? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, good. There, I was like, there isn't a game. <laughs> but, yeah. As long as there isn't in the movie. Um, right. Zoe Kravitz is a great Catwoman. I think she'll be now seen as kind of like the definitive performance on that role. Mm-hmm. Really embodied the character well. Um, just the whole cast was amazing, especially Colin Farrell as Penguin. Like, you wouldn't know it was him unless, like, I, if I hadn't heard that he was in the movie, I would have never known. Like, that's him. Is he so, grotesquely deformed and eat like raw fish and stuff like no, that? No, it's it's a much more grounded take <laughs> oh, on him. Oh, he didn't Devito it. No, <laughs> I mean that's just you know Tim Burton like Fruit Loop and that's the one thing I don't like the about edge. the second Batman movie. I just mm-hmm. don't like the Penguin. Um. And then, like, the stories they're pulling from, like, it's all the, to me, it's all the comics that, like, I think are the greatest of Batman stories. There's bits of year one with, like, the crime family stuff going on. Uh, Kind of the core thing is pulled a lot from the Long Halloween, which is probably my favorite Batman story. Um, Bits from that, too, with, like, the way Catwoman's backstory is set up is mixed in there. Uh, Even bits of, like, Hush which is probably all going over your head, Jason, I know. Because you're not like a lapsed... I'm familiar with the Deep Purple song. <laughs> not a lapsed comic nerd like me, but... No. I know all of these stories, yeah. and they're all really You know, they're, they're all like, you know, top-tier Batman stuff that they're pulling from. And man, it was just so good and so much fun. And it is three hours, but like, you just... It pulls you right through the whole way. Okay. And I'm very excited to see where they're going to go with it. So how does this rank amongst your the Batman list of films? 
right now, like off the back of just seeing it, it's probably my favorite. Because mm. there's even a scene. And... So it's better than Batman and Robin, is what you're saying. <laughs> well, that's that's easy. That's easy. <laughs> I mean, the real thing is like, can it beat the Dark Knight? I think is the one that everyone thinks about. Sure. And does it? I don't really know. The thing is, if you compare it to like first films, right? So like the original Batman, Batman Begins, this one. I guess Batman v Superman is the first one for Affleck, unfortunately. Um, among like so. first Batman films, it's easily the best to me. Will it be the best of all of them? I don't know. It kind of depends on where they go and how they evolve with it, I think. But I loved it so, so much. I can't, just can't sing its praise enough. Okay. I'm very excited. I think it, well, I guess by the time this drops, it'll probably already be on HBO Max. Because I think April, April, yeah, it'll be close. April is when it hits H- HBO Max, and I can't wait because yeah. I'm not able to go to the theater. So. And I will say there is one scene, and I won't spoil it, but it's like a confrontation moment. And I never thought I would see something that's done for a Batman film that's like as intense as like the Batman Joker scene where they're in the police station, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, you're asking where she is. That oh, yeah, classic interrogation thing. thing. Just the intensity of that moment. I never thought they would hit that again in a film. But there's a part in this one that kind of does the same thing, but it's so so much better executed. And there's so much more like psychological stuff going on. Hmm. Okay. I look forward yep. to seeing I it. I have full faith in And then Robert tearing Pattinson. it apart and telling you how much I don't like <laughs> yeah, it. This is truly, to me, it's like the psychological thriller, like detective comics side of Batman, which is awesome to have in Th- That sounds more appealing to me, so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll definitely check it out. One of my wife's coworkers, and I can say this because they ain't going to listen to this podcast, um, they walked out of what? the Batman. What? They were like, I just wasn't the Batman. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, well, well, who do they think is the Batman? I didn't ask. I didn't care. Well, see, that's one thing to me, like... They've had so many versions of Batman and everything now yeah. at this point that like it doesn't bother me when they change stuff so much as long as still kind of like the essence is there. Well, here's here's my tiny tiny little rant mm-hmm. on that. Sure, I don't really trust the opinion of anyone who tells me they walked out of a movie. Yeah, because you I didn't give it a chance. Yeah. Like, don't like. Yeah, there's been plenty of shit I've turned off on on Netflix, but it's like, I if I go and pay them money to go to the theater and see the movie i'm gonna watch the movie like there's so you've never walked out on the movie (laughs) i really haven't i know you walked out on didn't you walk out on something i walked out on dr giggles that's what i thought you told me that you've walked out out when i was tv really it was like there was like half an hour left i'm like this movie is so fucking it was the last thought you were a tough guy huh well, I mean, I was also there with my girlfriend, and we were teenagers, and we were like, we'd rather be doing something else than watching this piece of shit. <laughs> so we split. What are you, what are you, what are you gonna do? Uh, go to the oh ice cream God. parlor. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, loved it. The Batman, super awesome. Definitely get around to this one if you enjoy comic book movies at all. All right. Well, yours is mainstream, but like still kind of on brand. Mm-hmm. Mine is just dude. Full. We have no brand. My all on brand go. for on brand for Dustin. I'm going just full batshit. Full blown uh, mainstream. Do it because I watched Free Guy. Okay, all right. Um, the Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, he's trapped in the video game. Sean. Thing, right? He realizes he's like a character in it. Yeah, Sean Levy. Levy. I don't. I guess it's Levy. I don't know. He also did the Adam Project that just hit mm-hmm. um, Netflix. I liked it. A bunch of people are gonna hate it. It's fine. Well, it's um, Netflix, so yeah. <laughs> um, Free Guy. The premise is pretty fun, you know, especially mm-hmm. if you're a gamer. Um, Ryan Reynolds plays a bank teller named Guy that finds out that he's living inside of a video game and that every day his day is the same thing um, and he's just kind of at the whim of player characters. He's just an NPC. Which already as like RPG player 
Like imagining yeah. the life of an NPC is already pretty funny. Mm-hmm. You know, just I mean, you're there purely to service the hero. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And now some DMs or whatever will give their NPCs pretty good backstories and actually treat them like characters. But you know, otherwise it's like. Hello, random blacksmith number two. <laughs> You're either there to give the hero something or get killed by the hero. Exactly. <laughs> Especially in the yeah. scope of like a video game. Like As far as they've come with what they can do, you can still only do so much. And the film, the film goes in some interesting places like and asks some interesting questions about like AI. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at what point when we create something, you know... How? When are we going too far, or when are we? When do we have to start realizing that it might have autonomy, mm-hmm. kind of a thing? So, some interesting questions about AI. Nothing really like in depth, or really like thought provoking. Mm-hmm. But the film is goofy. Um, it's kind of nods to all the video games that you've ever played. Ryan Reynolds is still Ryan Reynolds. Like, I'm not sure. We were discussing this earlier. Mm-hmm. Like. He's done a couple films where you really get to see what like, he's like I as like an exactly actor. I like exactly one Ryan Reynolds movie. Exactly one. But then it's the buried. rest of them are just his persona mm-hmm. in it. But honestly, it's on Disney+. Plus. It's free. Um, wow. Taika, Taika Waititi is, is <laughs> in it. Dustin doesn't like Disney+, Plus either. You know what I'm No, Taika's really funny in he's it. He's always great. Uh, he, I love when he acts. It has um, oh, the dude from uh, Stranger Things, the... The sheriff? No, not David Harbour. It's the kid who looks just like uh, John Ralphio from uh, Parks and Rec. I don't watch Stranger Things. So. Okay. I don't watch Parks and Rec. <laughs> He's good in it. He's... <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> oh, fuck this. <laughs> uh, I, you know, it's also one that you could probably, if you've got kids that are like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe 10, 11, 12, it's suitable mm-hmm. that you could watch it with your kids. That What that, if they're not your kids? You, should... <laughs> uh, you got bigger problems. I don't even want to go down that. So you like the movie? That what you're saying? You liked it? I think it's it's nothing that I would like think that was fantastic, mm-hmm. but I had fun with it. It was silly, and I could easily see it working on like a family night. You cool. know, so cool. nice, in defense of yeah. yeah, I ain't gonna piss nobody off. <laughs> I like <don't> myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna, not gonna. Pissing anybody's Cheerios about well, free I'm sure guy. someone will get pissed off about about something. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> cool. I mean, I liked the trailer when I saw it, but it wasn't like I wouldn't run out to the theaters to go see it kind of thing. You I know? honestly think you would find uh, it funnier than Jason. Is would. it better mm. than Pixels? <laughs> oh, yeah. God, yeah. That's a low bar. Wait, no, there's, a, there's enough, like, really silly, like... <laughs> So one particular instance that cracks me up is you'll see like an NPC on fire. And so guy ends up putting him out and like the whole time this movie, you've just seen this poor dude running around on fire. Like he's a side mission. Mm -hmm. So guy ends up putting him out and the dude's like, Oh my God, thank you. (laughs) And a player just runs by and caps him. (laughs) He just like immediately did. And you see in the background, the player is teabagging him. (laughs) Uh, And this is a family film. Okay. I mean, I like Michael's definition of family film. If you go on like Halo or call of duty or something, every kid that's playing is going to teabag you and they shoot you down. So yeah, it's just, Silly. I assume it's not like really bloody and stuff when he gets. No, no, not at all, yeah. not at all. It's really not, oh, not terribly violent either. I mean, for mm-hmm. what it is. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> You're both like, I'm not watching it. Whatever. Cool. I'm I'm happy for you, Michael. I bet some listener will check it out now They're and probably, enjoy it. Some of them have and seen that's, it that's already. All that matters. They're going to be like, this was not appropriate for my children. <laughs> 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 We're a mature rated show, so they. 
take everything we say with a grain of salt. Especially so. me. I probably <laughs> swear more than all of us. So. Probably do. Today we are talking about Come True, 2020, directed by Anthony Scott Burns. Actually, a lot of things by Scott Burns. He also wrote it, mm-hmm. um, edited, edited it. it, did the cinematography. Co-wrote some of the music. Yep, co-wrote some of the music under the name Pilot Priest, which he's done some other music. Now, that's his DJ name, apparently, yeah. right? Yeah, super cool. So this is really his like brainchild. Mm-hmm. And he's actually, uh, this is like his first, I guess, feature directorial thing. He's worked on some shorts. He's done some anthology segments. He did a film called Our House before this. In the middle of our street? <laughs> no. Uh, I have not seen it, but now I really want to. I'm not sure if I've ever had a more patronizing response to one of my jokes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the other thing I wanted to note, I'm he, sure he's done um, some second unit directing on some like more notable films like In the Tall Grass and Prodigy. Okay, I thought that was kind of cool. Yes. In the Tall Grass is really cool. loved. Is in the Tall Grass, yeah. Oh, which one was Prodigy? I'm having. Isn't that the one where it's like the kid, and it's not the one where it's like the evil Superman one. It's another one where it's like a young kid, and the kid is like. So it's not Bright Burn, but supernatural. It's or it came out like roughly in the wake of that, and I think it kind of got swallowed up. Huh. I don't remember by that similarity. One at all. I'm going to look it up right now. Prodigy 2019. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that looks interesting. So I'll hit you guys with the synopsis of Come True. All right, do it. Looking for an escape from her recurring nightmares, 18-year-old Sarah submits to a university sleep study, but soon realizes she's become the conduit to a frightening new discovery. Mm. All right. Are we happy with that synopsis? Sounds like your standard sort of horror film. That's fair. It's vague enough to make you want to watch it. It's on point, I think. So... Or would you guys like to begin with talking about this film? Because there's a lot to go into with this one. There is a lot to go into with this one. Um, and I think I understand now why Urban Groucho pitched this one at us. Because it was one that definitely like forced me to go research a bunch of stuff. Yeah. The second yeah. it got done. And I had seen this one before. You did. Which I think you, I mentioned on one of our... You upsold it as Cronenberg meets Lynch. Okay. I can defend that. Hmm? Maybe it was not a good comparison to make to you. <laughs> but I can defend that and I will. <clears throat> yeah, I thought about your glowing review of it while watching it and I, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and he thought that guy's full of shit no i was trying to i got i can see where you went like okay. why mm-hmm. you would say those things right. i don't i think that if you really are a big fan of lynch or cronenberg you might be like bullshit i, I think there's definitely influence there are oh yeah yeah, yeah. But I, I, I think especially on the Cronenberg side, which we'll see as we mm-hmm. kind of walk through this. Yeah, the Lynchian, I don't know enough. Like, I haven't seen enough Lynch to fully say it was like Lynchian, but that's also like super hip right now to say something's Lynchian. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One so, of those buzzwords. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess let's just start. Just like, start at the beginning. Start with the movie. Do we need any preamble? Okay. I will say this. <laughs> it helps if you have a degree in psychology, uh, particularly Jungian psychology. Or an eagerness to learn. Yes, and I think this is the, oh this is I did have a one one thing like a preamble I wanted to say. Uh, this film I think is absolutely best watched blind with as little info as possible as you have about the film. Agreed. Beyond what the little bit we said now, it is on Hulu. It's very easy to just go watch it. If you have any interest at all, go watch the trailer right now. See how you feel about it. 
I'm not going to watch a trailer. Just watch the movie. You're better served to just go watch it before you hear us walk through it and talk about the twists and the developments and stuff. I wholeheartedly agree with that. If this sounds at all interesting to you, Mm -hmm. and yeah, go watch it. Don't listen to this. It's kind of like, I I don't want to compare it to this movie because the movie is ultimately way better than this one but like it's kind of like when i saw hereditary for the first time mm. i knew nothing about it oh, and yeah, it was yeah. more that's, that's i did the same thing and then you're like oh my god you yeah, know so, good. so I, i'm not gonna say i had the reaction same way with this one but in the same vein you know like sometimes it really helps absolutely so even if you're like well i don't really care if there's spoilers uh maybe this time just go watch it and then then come back and pretend mm. chat with us about what's going on here yeah yeah excellent a good warning dustin so the film Opens and centers around um, Sarah Dunn. Yes. Uh, who's played by Julia Sarah Stone, who I thought was fantastic in this. She's amazing in this film. She was she, so good. She's a revelation. That's what she is. And she's very good with like portraying like facial emotions, I think. Mm-hmm. And like conveying things just with like a look. She is perfectly cast. I mm-hmm. haven't seen perfect casting like this since Anya Taylor joined The Witch. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's magical. Like, I was looking through her her filmography on IMDb just because she has so much charisma on mm-hmm. screen that I feel like she should have been in something bigger. Like, mm-hmm. that I've already seen her in something. She's done and, a lot of TV. And honestly, there I hadn't... Like, I saw she was in a couple things, like Killing and stuff like that, but not like anything where she's gotten to really shine oh, yeah. like this and... She was intoxicating yeah, for this. Like, she's really great. I think if she wasn't so good, this wouldn't have worked at all. Probably not. The whole thing hinges on her. Yeah. The whole movie hinges on her. And the, and the director, the casting director, whoever did it, props to them because they chose perfectly this person to play this character. But it starts with Sarah, and we kind of see that Sarah is um, sleeping. She's on a, in a slide, right? In the yeah. Park. Well, it starts with a dream. Oh, yeah, it does start with a dream. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And there are many dream sequences in this film, because yeah. to a degree, this is about dreams. And it's the dreams that I thought were Lynchian, mm. to a big degree, because I, I saw the dream sequence. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, watch the dream sequences, and I could not not think of Eraserhead, you know, in good ways. It wasn't like a ripoff, mm. but it had that same sort of feel to me. So here's what I'll say. I think they have interesting visuals at times, mm-hmm. but there's something about the execution of these dream sequences that really put me off. It was probably my least favorite aspect of the film. Was it too slow for you? Because it's like every dream sequence, no matter what's going on, it's always like you're moving forward on a set little path. Mm -hmm. And then there's kind of interesting imagery to the side. Usually at some point there's like one little jump scare that happens where something pops and there's a loud noise. So you're saying it's like an on-the-rail shooter with nothing to shoot at. Yeah, to me, and I I think I messaged you guys in our chat and talked about this, it felt like it was like a funhouse ride. Uh, directed by Blumhouse. Because it was just very like, <laughs> no, standard No, if it was Blumhouse, visuals. it would have been crap going on everywhere. Well, no, because we'll get to it later, but there's one dream sequence where it comes up on a jack-in-the-box, and I was like, oh, okay, so now like the the one guy is going to pop out, the crooked man or whatever, from The Conjuring, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's... Okay. I don't know. That's fine. That's fair. With dreams, you can do anything, so it was weird to me a little bit. Yeah, but in the dream, it's like you see this kind of... It looks like an island almost. It's like misshrouded, and mm-hmm. you're getting closer to it. And then there's a, you go into a cave, which is very, like, psychologically, mm-hmm. you know, kind of sticks out there. Uh, and you go through a door, and then you come upon this big shadowy dark figure. He got, he's got his back to the audience, and the dream ends, and that's when Sarah wakes up on the slide. She's sleeping outside on a slide. Right. In a playground. And we soon find out from some events, like... You, you know that Sarah's still in high school because mm-hmm. we see her in high school now. 
But it's um, interesting this start because like there's not a lot of dialogue, but they tell you a lot just in showing you things. Show don't tell. Right? Yeah, she she's creeping around a house that we quickly figure out is her house. She kind of waits till her mom leaves mm-hmm. to sneak in and like grab a few things. Yep. She she showers, grabs a few mm-hmm. things, and Eats then she's gone again. Yeah. Um, yep. And she's being very quick about it. Oh, yeah. Like she wants to make sure that her mom doesn't see her. So we already get the impression that she's on the outs with her family. Mm-hmm. Something's um, happened. Something's happened. She's not going home. Um, she's still going to school. Um, but she's kind of nodding off in school. She has one friend that we uh, know of. Zoe, right? And Zoe, Zoe seems to know her whole situation. Played by Tedra Rogers. I hadn't seen her in anything else. She's good, but too. She was good, she too. She doesn't have a lot yeah. to do, but she's good. However, we should point out that uh, the movie is separated up into chapters. Oh, yes. yes. And Another. this one's called The Persona. Put a pin in that. We'll come back to these chapter titles. You don't want to talk about it now? I wondered when it would be better. I think it's better to talk about it later, just okay. because... Okay. We'll never get through the recap if we you, talk about You need now. to thread it with stuff from the film, I think. Okay. Fair enough. <clears throat> so Zoe knows her situation, apparently, mm-hmm. because Zoe's kind of... She goes to a coffee shop with her, and they kind of talk through some yep. things. Um, and then Zoe tells her that she can sleep over, you know, over the weekend, I guess, or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, somebody's going to be out of town, like, so you can come crash at my place. It's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she sneaks back into her house. Right. And uh, gather some things. And notably, we see a Weekend at Bernie's poster behind her displayed prominently, which is odd for a teenager, you know, in 2020 to have on their wall. Maybe she's a film nerd. Maybe. We already know that she, they nod to that, that she is a film nerd because of films that she references. Yeah, but what, do a lot of film nerds like Weekend at Bernie's? I mean, it's, anyway, I think (laughs) it's, it's something to come back to is all I'm saying. So something interesting she does in this scene, though, that when we get to the end and we kind of reveal what the twist is, like a couple of the twists that happen in the film, she does... What? Is it a twist? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She turns on a light in her room, Mm -hmm. um, which in turn signals her mom that she's there. Oh, yeah, she realizes, yeah. And so her mom, like, busts in. She's like, Sarah, Sarah? You know, and she's already gone by that time. Out the window. So that light is interesting for me, and it's stuck in my mind at the end of the film. I like that, yeah. Um, We're going to have a lot of put a pin in this, I think. Yeah, yeah seriously. <laughs> because this film kind of winds and weaves throughout the, the narrative, which is one of the things I like about it. It rewards you for paying attention. Yeah. You know, there's, a, there's little things that kind of pop in and pop out, and I think one of the things to already start with is the way the film is shot. It's very dreamlike. Mm-hmm. Everything's a little bit fuzzy. Um, very cool, cold um, palette. A lot of blues in the nighttime shots. Yeah. So everything already feels kind of dreamlike. To kind of has that A twenty four look in a way. Also, Almost, another, yeah. another Lynchian influence, in my opinion. I, I can't comment on that, but I don't want to because <laughs> Dustin will get triggered. Um, but there's just some kind of some setup mm-hmm. with her, and you see Sarah kind of like grasping, like, where's the next place I'm going to sleep? Right, because she doesn't want to just stay with Zoe. She, she can't stay with her permanently. That's like not an option on the table. Right, so she, you know, she sleeps there, and she tells her, you don't know how good this feels just to like lay in a bed, mm-hmm. you know, and have your head on a pillow. So once that's over, we see her next time that she sleeps, she's back. Mm-hmm. At the park. At the park. Um, but in the meantime, we see her checking into 
uh, kind of a hospital school situation. Well, there, where are they? There's, it's at the coffee shop, isn't it? She sees a flyer. It's yeah, a flyer for a, for sleep, a sleep study. study. Yeah. And so she goes to check that out, and she's answering these questions um, for the, the worker. And stuff like, you know, have you do you have trouble sleeping? Do you have trouble falling asleep? You know, if you've ever had a sleep study done, Jason and I both have. Um, so it's kind of, and this was kind of mm-hmm. fun to watch for me. Yeah. Um, cause we've was been it accurate? It. No. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> well, they're also after very specific things here. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, um, but they do ask questions like how much coffee or soda do you drink? Yeah, exactly. Like and yeah. so she's like answering these things. They ask, do you sleep? Have you ever, do you sleepwalk? And she says, no. She said when she was a kid, she did. But then she, yeah. then she realizes like I did when I was a kid, but you know, I haven't in a long time. Yeah. Um, and then she asks her that interesting question, right? As they're leaving, she's like, so wants to be a part of this study. Cause she said, so all I have to do is show up and sleep. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, that that's all you she's have like, to do. Perfect. And it's just, there was something so sad about that to me. Like, yeah, it's, it's very sad to, I don't know. You have to consider her homeless at this point mm-hmm. and that she's just literally trying to figure out day to day. And you're wondering what's so horrible at home that she won't go there. Mm-hmm. Right. And unfortunately, the film never tells us that, but I don't think it has to because of the way it plays out. Yeah. Right. Um, but you always get the sense that there's something horrible happening that's happened at home that she can't go back. Mm-hmm. And we're already in part two of the movie here, too. And part two is called Anima and Animus. Yes. This is where the Something sleep, else to put a pin in. This is where the sleep study starts. Right. And we meet some other characters in the scheme of that. Is it Anita's the woman that she kind of interacts with the most, right? Yeah. yeah she's kind of like the uh, student scientist. And then notably, researcher. it's helmed by a Dr. Meyer, played by Christopher Hetherington. Did anybody get any Cronenberg vibes from him? Yeah, the giant yes. glasses. So this is where the Cronenberg stuff comes in because a lot of those early Cronenberg films, they're all the same thing where it's like a science gone wrong story where you have like a brilliant scientist. There's some kind of experiment at hand. There's some medical institute that might be a yeah. little shady or something. They're like, doing like from the brood mm-hmm. or uh, uh, rabbit, rabbit. Yeah, mm-hmm. even shivers. Yeah, really. Because that's just a guy that's kind of gone rogue with his own yeah uh, experiment. Yeah, that's that was one and of the big fun note. Um, Meyer's wearing these like huge, huge glasses, gives him this really interesting awesome. look. <laughs> and it was actually the same style of glasses that George Romero used to wear. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Okay. So that was a fun little nice. little toss in. I, I, you know, I, I think that the director is Canadian. I bet he tried to get Cronenberg to be in his movie. <laughs> I, I could totally see Cronenberg playing that role. <laughs> that would have been amazing. This is definitely Canadian because on uh, Julia Sarah Stone's. Well, I remember in the credits, I saw the thing for was it Telefilm Canada? Yeah, right. Uh, Julia Sarah Stone's. IMDb page, her headshot says Vancouver headshots oh. at the bottom. Nice. So, that's, that's nice. Good so I think she's, they're definitely Canadian. Um, um, but I think what's interesting is in a lot of those Cronenberg films, like it becomes very much about like what that scientist is wanting to do and what happens. But in this film, Meyer's much more of like a passive observer to what goes on. Mm-hmm. Sure. And in the Cronenberg films, it seems like the scientists always have a noble end in mind, mm-hmm. but things happen <laughs> yeah to offset plans well and i'm not entirely sure that meyer didn't have a noble end. i don't think meyer's the one we kind of learned to find out meyer's just the money yeah the money and the you know the backing for for this study but there's some other kind of bit players in here i don't want to reduce their um it's the other sleep study participants. Yeah, I don't want to reduce their meaning in the film by calling them bit players, but they don't really play as integral part of the story. No, they so. don't. They're not. Um, 
They're kind of like NPCs. If there's two. Yeah. Uh, there's two college dudes. They've both like done sleep studies before. Mm-hmm. There's an older guy that's been coming to him like all his life. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then there's a woman named Emily. I there's believe. There's only one other female named Emily. So yeah. we find out what are there four. Four uh, men, two women. Four men, two women mm-hmm. in the sleep study. Now this is where the sleep study really starts to um, engage the Cronenbergness, but also <laughs> departs heavily from the sleep study that I was involved in. <laughs> You weren't putting something that looks like a white steel suit? No. And then giving something to put on your head that looks like a human brain? I would have totally rather had that, though, than not have that fucking white paste that they just, like... Because they have to put all those wires in your head when you go have an actual sleep study. So they do actually monitor your brain waves and everything, but they don't have a nice little cap to put on you. They use, like, this white paste that is impossible to get out. Like, do you remember? See, I didn't have to do all that. All I did was just wear the thing on my finger for what? A wow. Yeah. Oh no, man. I've had. I, did, I didn't have that. Michael, I don't think you went thing. for a sleep study. Yeah. yeah, you were being evaluated for something. I've <laughs> had two done. Uh, one when I was like a teenager, and then one like maybe five years ago. And each one, like all the leads that go to your head, have this white paste that they like just gloop in your hair. And so the next morning, they're like, there's a shower down the corner that you can go shower off. Did you wake up in like a hotel uh, bathroom filled with ice or anything? <laughs> yeah. Is that strange? Is that not what it's supposed to be? Huh. Uh, but, all, but also very similar, though, in the fact that there is a camera yep. in those rooms, yeah. and you see them watching you, and then they just tell you, okay, go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And that's, <laughs> Okay, sure. <laughs> okay. And here um, at this point in the film, it was a movie I really wanted to mention. Uh, Jason, you and I watched it together. Um, Panos Cosmatos' uh, first film, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Yes. Just just the way those suits look, where it's like they're clearly like more sci-fi than they ought to be for the time, mm-hmm. but yet like they feel natural yeah. and blended in. Right. And even the tech, like, they got some machinery on the wall that looks like old... I don't know, old cash registers or something like from the late 80s or 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And they're like video deck. It's like the little tiny like screens, like mini screens. Yeah. It's it's really cool. And that also reminded me of some Cronenberger. It reminded me of like Videodrome mm-hmm. with the headset that Max Wren wears that yeah. records his hallucinations. And uh, also made me think of the game consoles from Existence. Oh, way. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great underrated film. Yeah. I love of, Existence. That's good. Wasn't that in my top five? Was it? I don't know. It was close. I, I think. I don't remember. I don't remember. I think it was up there. Okay. Or in my in my handshake five or whatever. I don't remember. I don't know. There's no way to find oh, out. That was a while yeah. ago. Sure. <laughs> Anyways, the first night she sleeps really well, so this seems like a great deal. She's getting paid to sleep. She's got a place she can go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Everything's a going good. Yeah. She, at this point too, is like the, because we see the people kind of watching them, monitoring their vitals and stuff in the office, mm-hmm. and this is where we really get some kind of otherworldly kind of blue lighting. Yeah. It starts to become more prominent. We notice that what they're seeing um, isn't particularly like something that you would think you would see on a sleep study. Mm-hmm. And is it at this point when she wakes up the next morning that they start asking her the follow-up questions? Like, how did you sleep? And they, I think that's later. Well, she goes okay. through a session or two where nothing happens. Right. Um, but in between those sessions, she we see her kind of going about her normal mm-hmm. life or whatever. And she goes to a bookstore. Yep. Something important happens before then, though, I think. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because after she answers some questions at the sleep study, she says something about how like, she never slept better before or something like that. And we see her the next day. She's sitting under a bridge, and she gets a call from her mom on her cell phone. Right. Which she declines. Right. And that's the end of that scene. So that's kind of... That means more after you've seen the end of the film. Yeah, that's another yep. come back to this moment later. <laughs> um, but yeah, while she's in... 
the bookstore, uh, there's another guy in the bookstore that she sees who uh, we don't know who this is yet. He's out of focus too. He's kind of in the background a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she's picking up a book and he's like, "Have you read that before?" And it turns out to be a, a book by Philip K. Dick. Does yeah, anybody know what book this was? It's "We Can Build You," apparently. Oh, okay. And he asks, like, have you ever read anything by Philip K. Dick before? She says, no, not really much. He said, well, you know, it's, it's a great book. It's really hard to put down, but it'll really make you think. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing, like, Philip K. Dick is just, like, a god among, like, sci-fi writers and stories and stuff. So it was interesting that that was, like, the reference point right. used here. Mm-hmm. The only thing I really know of his is the Altered Carbon stuff. What about, really? he wrote the story that Blade Runner is based on. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean, like, I don't. I never read. He wrote the story that Total Recall is based on. Oh, mm-hmm. I've never read. I haven't clearly and read enough. Minority Report too, right? I think so. Yeah. And funny note: David Cronenberg almost directed the Total Recall. Can you imagine what that movie would have been <laughs> if Cronenberg directed? That would be awesome. I, yeah, I don't know if I. I don't know if I'd want him to do it because <laughs> it'd be scarier. Then I don't right? get three boobs. That's oh. true. Yeah, That's but true. this guy, after talking to her for a bit. She kind of wanders off, and she goes to the movies with Zoe. Yeah, and they're watching Night of the Living Dead. Um, they're watching a screening of Night of the Living Dead. Classic. Yeah. Something else to put a pen in, I think. Um, I don't know. I think you're dragging on that. I think you're... That's public domain, that. man. You show that everywhere. Especially when you're making a movie and you've got a low budget. Right, welcome back to it. Uh, but she notices that guy from the bookstore comes in and sits down. Mm-hmm. And it kind of weirds her out a little bit. Yeah. So as they're leaving, she tells Zoe, like, uh, hey... I'm trying to avoid that guy. Mm-hmm. And Zoe's like, you like him? You know, like being the the wonderful friend that you just want to punch in the junk. Um, I, I don't mean, think Zoe has junk. Everybody has junk. Oh, different types of junk. I see yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Jesus, man. Well, I never... Okay. But, but she, I never she, referred to that as junk. Uh, she dodges junk. the guy, though. So She dodges yeah. the guy. Yeah. Um, and so we think everything's going back to normal. She goes she back. She might have junk. I mean, we really don't know. She goes back to the it, sleep. It does not matter. Frankly, it's none of our business. <laughs> okay. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so she goes back to the sleep study. Um, and this is when something starts to happen. She notices that Emily's not there. Mm-hmm. And so she asks one of the techs, like, um, is, is Emily still in the study? This one says, I don't know, you know, she might just be running late or she might have dropped out. This happens all the time. Yeah, they tell her it's a regular thing that sometimes people show up day one and then they're like, eh, I didn't like it. It's weird. I don't Mm -hmm. like people watching me while I sleep kind of a thing. Um, But it makes her uncomfortable. Yeah, she's already starting to see now she's alone Mm -hmm. in this room. And so she at least had Emily there before as comfort, like we're in this shit together. Yeah. It's okay, you know. But this is when, as she starts to fall asleep this time, this is when some shit starts to go a little strange for her. The nightmares kick back in. And we get a recurrence of very similar to the nightmares that we see at the very beginning Mm -hmm. um, of the film. Slight variations. It always culminates with the shadowy figure. Correct. Um, This time, do we get to see the eyes this time? I think so, yeah. The glowing eyes. We just see the still the shadowy figure, no real definition of the face or anything, but glowing eyes. Um, But this time, she goes into basically a seizure moment yeah um where she starts well this she has a seizure when they're showing her the pictures the next day she didn't she had an event that night though. she wakes with a start doesn't she i think she, she wakes with a start she yeah. ha- i think the the one you're talking about happens a little bit later oh okay okay yeah but she uh they're showing her pictures the next day asking her questions and stuff like that yeah anita and, is. and she's like i don't know what any of these are and they're yeah, like well they're just fuzzy low res images and they're telling her well just anything you think of just tell us Mm-hmm. And it's not until they lay down the final, she's like, I don't, you know, none of these, not until they lay down the final image, which is clearly 
the shadowy figure. The shadowy figure. Mm-hmm. And she's... That's when she starts to... She like, starts to hyperventilate, starts to... What the fuck is going she's on straight here? straight up has a panic attack. Yeah, and then she ends up having a seizure. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And that's when we see the dude who was at the bookstore and the movie theater rush in and uh, check on her. <laughs> right. And she realizes that, oh, this dude's part of the study. Great. Yep. He's uh, Jeremy, or as everyone there calls him, Riff. They called him Riff. So she's already now having second thoughts about doing this sleep study because this dude's following her, interacting her with her outside of the study or whatever. So she has a genuine kind of breakdown moment of panic of what do I mm-hmm. do? I don't know if I want to go back here, but I also don't have anywhere to sleep. Yeah. And she's talking with Jeremy at this point and she accuses him of being like a creep. Yeah. You know, like you're a nerd who sees some other nerdy girl. He's <laughs> like, well, this is my way to get the future Mrs. Nerd. Um, I like the way she delivered that too. It was yeah, really funny. Yeah. She's really good. And yeah, she says that she said that she had the worst panic attack of her life is what just happened. That's why she's quitting the study. Mm-hmm. And so she goes off. She has the eye blood. Now, yeah, right? that's something she. Yeah, when she gets, uh, when she wakes up from her convulsion, she's her eyes bleeding. Yeah. So she goes to a laundromat. Where else is she gonna go? Right. Sure. You, go, time. you gotta clean your clothes. And she dozes off again. Well, before that, we see her, she's sitting there. Her, her laundry's going. She's the only person we see in the place, mm-hmm. and she's kind of looking out the window. And behind her, you see kind of slowly a form a shadowy figure. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And out, she's not asleep yet. And I think it, she gets the feeling that someone's watching her or something's there. And she turns around and she we don't see what she sees. But she obviously sees the shadowy figure there. Sure. And then she starts to have a, another convulsion. And you get these flashing red lights and stuff like that. And she's out. Mm-hmm. And then she's woken up by a woman who, if you notice, has very... Uh, her eyes, She looks blind. Yeah. And her eyes are very kind of... What's that word? And you've got like cataracts or something. Yeah. You know? Um, and she said that some boys stole something from you and ran out. Yeah, she looks and feel like she feels in her pocket and realizes they've stolen her phone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, to someone in her situation, that's her lifeline. Like, I think we way. would all freak out if anyone stole our phones. <laughs> yeah, especially you. I've seen the pictures these on days there. and ages too. Yeah, <laughs> like phone phone is everything, I guess. So then she runs over to Zoe's house, knocks, bangs on a door, yells, but Zoe doesn't answer. Nobody's home. So now she's got nowhere to go, nothing to do. And she decides that she's going to go back to the place where the sleep study's happening. It's like a college campus or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so she's waiting outside, and we see Jeremy coming in, and that's where she confronts him. And she starts telling him, basically, like, running down, like, I don't want to do this. I want to do mm-hmm. this, but I don't want to do this. She like, wants to know what they're up to. Yeah. And, yep. and he's like, I can't tell you. Because she thinks that something they're doing... Right. It's causing this yeah. stuff. It's already been reiterated to her through all of the tech workers and everything. I can't tell you what we're doing because right. this is a double blind study. Yeah. You know, like we can't reveal. Actually, I don't think it's a double blind, but they just say it would contaminate the results. Yeah, they yeah. can't tell you. Yeah. Exactly. So you can't. But she's like, well, if you show me what you're doing, I won't tell everyone that you were stalking me. Yeah. So he's like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so he does. He decides, like, I'm going to, if this is the only way to get her in, but they've already noticed that she seems to be the important one. Right. One of the important ones that they want for Because the there study. is a scene where we don't see what they're reviewing, but they're reviewing something that they've recorded, and Meyer mentions that she is, like, the most successful candidate mm-hmm. that they've examined. Right. Yeah. And so Meyer, uh, not Meyer, I'm sorry. Um, Jeremy. Jeremy. Jeremy Riff. Or Riff. Yeah. Riff. Whatever. Takes her, kind of shows her 
Yeah, they're big bank of screens and the, everything. The behind the scenes of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And there's a big Terminator poster up on the wall here yeah. in this office. Yeah, very cool. And so she starts seeing, she starts to become fascinated with what they're doing, but Riff's not entirely honest about what they're doing. Well, you know, he shows her that they have technology. He puts the thing on his head, and they have technology that can kind of see on a monitor what that person is seeing, mm-hmm. even in a dream. And the images are kind of low res and hard to see. And it does it by scanning their brain yeah. and kind of converting brain waves into images. It's very hand wavy. It's mm-hmm. like, it reminded me of Inception. Yeah. It's like they don't bother to explain the tech. It doesn't matter. Right. But the it way works. it's set it up, it just thing. feels like, yeah, that would work. Yeah, sure. Why not? Something. I didn't question it. I mean, like... <laughs> right. I ain't no scientist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unlike half the world, I don't think I'm going to become an expert by, quote, but, doing but, my research. <laughs> but what he, like, extrapolates to her is that by using this, they're also able to perceive people's dreams. Mm-hmm. And so the fun... What I found really interesting about this part is when he talks about, starts talking about what, so that there's already two other people in the study right now that it's already going on. Yeah. Um, the two, there's two guys left. Yeah, the I two think. dudes are left. And so he starts showing her their screens and she's seeing in real time what they watch for. And what I, I really thought this was cool and it made me wonder to the actual science of this, like of when people start to fall asleep. And he starts explaining how your brain, starts to shut down and disconnect mm-hmm. and you start your brain starts like almost freaking out a little bit like because it's disconnecting mm. from the world and like all these shapes that they see and like that it's unique with everybody mm-hmm. i found that super fascinating yeah. and it makes me wonder there's a term we should lay down here too okay he talks about uh hypnagogic hallucinations yes i knew it had gog in it and these are hallucinations <laughs> that happen as you're falling asleep generally they are short-lasting and pretty straightforward uh, and 86% of people they've studied this on, it's usually a visual hallucination in nature. It's often a moving pattern or a shape or a vivid image, maybe a face, maybe an animal or a specific scene. Um, up to 35% of hallucinations involve hearing sounds, such as voice or music. And in 25% to 44% of cases, a person will actually have some sort of physical sensation or feeling like falling or weightlessness. And this might be something that people easily recognize if you've ever had that thing where you're about to fall asleep yeah. and you get that jolt like mm-hmm. you thought you were going to fall and you just like shake awake really quick. Did these, does this happen to you guys frequently at all? Well, so that's really interesting. Once in a blue moon, I've had that. Mm-hmm. The, what you said in there is really interesting about the that you'll hear music. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have, I've mentioned on the show many times, but I have fairly significant hearing loss from poor choices. Um, <laughs> <laughs> from another life of rock and roll. Um but I hear music at night mm. when I try to go to sleep. And sometimes it's actually deafening um, that I can't hear Whoa. anything but that. Wow. And it typically happens as I'm falling asleep, which is really fascinating because hmm. my wife, who is a physician, has said before, part of hearing loss is your brain trying to connect things mm-hmm. that you think you can hear, but you can't. But it's your brain still having almost that phantom response. And so Interesting. what's really weird for me is sometimes when I'm falling asleep, I'll hear a song that I haven't heard in years hmm. mm-hmm. and I'm not sure. And I'm always wondering like, what the fuck? Why am I hearing that? Right. You know, but, and I don't think about it anymore mm. because it's happened so much that I'm just like, yeah, okay, whatever. But it's usually right as I'm drifting. Okay. Like I'll be reading. I always read before I go to bed. So I'll be reading and it's like, I start to drift off and I'll start hearing music and I'm like, why the fuck? fuck am i hearing that song interesting so it kind of makes me wonder how much of that's my hearing loss how much is the hypnagogic Mm. 
you know, thing. Yeah, you know, once in a blue moon, I've had the falling sensation, but nothing too major. What about you, Jason? Yeah, Anything? I get the falling sensation not often, probably once every few months. And but I've also heard things like mm. I, I think I'm hearing my name a lot of times when mm-hmm. I'm going to sleep. Ooh, creepy. Yeah. You are. It's me. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I gotta start. Like, <laughs> you don't I, recognize my voice. I gotta find all those bugs and cameras. Jason! Jason! Oh, Jason! Oh, God. That is frightening. So, with this revelation, Sarah decides to continue the experiment because now she's kind of curious. Like, what are they finding out from her and her dreams? And there's another interesting line here, too, because they watch the dude's dream, which is very similar to her own. And uh, yeah, another Blumhouse fun ride. And she asked Jeremy if, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> she asked Jeremy if her dreams were that messed up. Yeah. Implying that she doesn't really remember her dreams. Mm-hmm. Good to note. Mm-hmm. Part three is called The Shadow. Mm, and now we're thinking, hmm, what's that mean? We have a shadowy figure. We sure do. Yeah. Mm. So is it now this sleep session this is, is the one? This is when she has the dream. And then she begins to spasm during it yep. and wakes up and freaks out. Right. And notably, we also see the dreams of the other two patients. Mm-hmm. And, and this is when her eyes really are bleeding. Her uh, one eye is bleeding a lot. And it's almost the exact same dream, but it all culminates with that same shadowy figure. Mm-hmm. So they're all clearly dreaming the same kind of dream. Yeah, and she runs off. Jeremy goes off after her. We see the other guys, they're dreaming, and the, the, the scientists are watching it on the monitors and stuff like that. But then both of them wake up. Mm-hmm. Their eyes are up, open, and they're looking like in the corner of the room. But their eyes are not—they're um, normal eyes at this point, right? Aren't yeah. they the? No, yeah, they're normal. Oh, okay. Yeah, and they're not moving. They obviously have sleep paralysis, right? Which is the next thing we need to talk about and define just a little bit. God, it's yes. fucking terrifying, man. So, sleep paralysis is a state during waking up or falling asleep in which the person is aware but unable to move or speak. During such episodes, one may hallucinate things that they hear, feel, or see that are not there. And often in these incidents, it'll be something that results in fear. Uh, Episodes will generally last less than a couple of minutes, and it might just be a single episode, or in some cases, it's a recurrent phenomenon that continues to happen. Mm -hmm. Now, you've had this before, Michael? No, I've not had sleep. I've never had it. It just terrifies the shit out of me. The idea of it. And I wanted to mention a film. I've had it. Oh, really? I had it when I was younger. That's weird. What did you see? I was like six or seven, and and I, I remember this as clearly as it was yesterday, I was awake. Mm-hmm. Could not move. I could barely breathe. And I didn't see anything. And this is also another familiar thing with sleep paralysis. There was just this feeling, this horrible presence of oppressive dread. And I was scared. I mean, I was really scared. Wow. And I couldn't say anything. I tried to talk. I tried yelling out for my mom. And eventually I could start whispering and then I got a little bit louder and louder. Mm-hmm. And, but I mean, I was conscious the entire time. That's wild that it's wow. that that fear was so strong that that's what keeps you like this many years later, almost being able to. <laughs> but like for real though, you wouldn't. I don't remember things from when I was like seven or eight. You here, know, like here and there, I but... do, but I don't remember them vividly. Yeah, I'm, like I'm, that. For strangely, I remember a lot of stuff from that time period. I don't know why. Best time of your life. Uh, film I wanted to mention. There's a documentary called The Nightmare, and it's all about sleep paralysis. I was about to say the same thing. Amazing doc. If you haven't seen The Nightmare, 
go watch it. It's better than most horror films. Yeah, I don't want to watch that. That terrifies uh, They really me. like convey to you what it feels like. I yeah, think. they do like re, uh, reenactments of what people see during their sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. And seriously, some of it is scarier than a horror film. And it's really well shot too. And I forget the name of the director, but it's the same person uh, that did... Rodney Asher was the director. Yeah, uh, he did the Room 237 documentary, Yeah, which we'll be talking about later. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, check out The Nightmare. Yeah, and one little thing I want to throw in too. Um, often in these sleep paralysis states, people will talk about having a shadowy figure that they see that kind of comes at them or tries to get on top of them or assaults them. And just to throw it in there, because I always like the little paranormal angle, uh, there is a concept known as shadow people, which are also you know, you know shadow persons, a shadowy figure, a shadowy being, a black mass that's kind of in the corner of your perception, just out of normal sight, that often resembles a living humanoid figure. And there's all kinds of different thoughts about what these are, if it's just sort of like a trick of the eye. Um, when you go into paranormal circles, there's all sorts of stuff about it being maybe a spirit or an entity. It's the Mothman. Anything. <laughs> um, and there's tons of directions you can go with that. I didn't bring a lot of research on it because it's pretty pretty fringe. Well, it sounds pretty interconnected with what we're talking about. Um, right a lot of it was popularized on Coast to Coast, that call-in show for the paranormal that gets you know just the wacky stuff. <laughs> I miss um, that, man. But in the hook of like what this film is doing, it seemed relevant to keep that in mind. Sure. Yeah. Because at this point, we're wondering, you know, is what what is the source of this shared dream? Is it some sort of supernatural entity that they've somehow accidentally come upon due to science, or you know what's going on? Mm-hmm. But I think we get the based on the fact that both of these guys now are seeing this. So Sarah wakes up from her panic thing and she fucking takes off. Yep. Mm -hmm. Like she's gone. So now the, the people in the sleep study who are watching the cameras and stuff, Rift decides like, I'm going to go after her. Yep. And they're like, but dude, it's happening. (laughs) (laughs) The thing, the thing that we've been waiting for (laughs) is happening. So they're watching and this is clearly, you now know this is what they were expecting. Mm hmm. Um, to happen they're watching these two guys both see the same thing Mm -hmm. it's in the room with them it's in the room with them and it's coming closer to them Mm -hmm. well one of them the telemetry kind of fucks up um so they send one of the poor dudes in to try to reconnect it without disturbing them. Which is a really tense scene because the guy's looking around because he's like, the thing's in here, right? Yeah. And it's great editing <laughs> yeah. back and forth to where you just see what they're watching on the monitor and you see this shadowy figure coming. Um, oh, and they know that Dr. Meyer's coming for a check-in, so they're worried about that too. Yeah. Right. And that scene is great. You know, he mm-hmm. does go in and he's watching behind him like, can he see the thing or whatnot? And it's um, great because you'll have him there looking and there's nothing there. Then it cuts to the monitors and it's there, it. yeah, it's right, right there. there on top of them. Yeah. Which does bring me to kind of like another thing that we should mention that I want to mention about what I really liked about this film was the score. Mm. Oh my God. The yeah. score is fucking amazing. And I don't, th- and that's one of the things like when I said I, this movie wouldn't work without the lead, this movie wouldn't work without the music either. Yeah. It's this beautiful synth haunting, like classic '80s synthwave synthwave score. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's just like, and that scene is like this build to this giant, like mm-hmm. almost explosion of sound that's just adding to everything. Oh yeah. yeah, to the tension. And when Dr. Myers sees the figures on the screen, he says a few things, but one of them is he refers to the shadow people as a unified fear, mm-hmm. implying so, that everyone has a fear of them. Right. Yeah, and Riff explains this later to Sarah in the next scenes that are coming up. But the general thing is that this is like some kind of entity that throughout history, they believe that people have always dreamed of it. Mm-hmm. And even like 
some of the people in the study, they've seen this before in their dreams. Yes. So in the meantime, Riff goes off looking for Sarah. He finds her in a club. Sarah's gone looking for Zoe. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, she knows that Zoe goes to this dance club or whatnot. Um, she goes in there, but she ends up like feeling sick and getting turned around or whatever. And something I started noticing about the movie at this point, when Riff is looking for her, is like, sure, it's nighttime, but this looks like to be a sizable city, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The streets are virtually empty. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime they're out in the city, there's like no one. Yeah. And things seem to get less and less populated as the movie goes on. And she gets to the to the club, but there's a lot of people packed in this club, this one central building, this one location, and that's kind of interesting. She ends up um, going into the bathroom and getting sick, like she ends up throwing up mm-hmm. and then passing out in the corner mm-hmm. of the bathroom. And this is where um, Riff finds her. Yep. yep. And it's hilarious because he has to pass this line of women waiting to get into the bathroom. Yeah. And they're all like, you know, waving their arms and making exasperated gestures as he's carrying out the girl and everything. I also liked the um, security guard that was outside. Hey, is she okay? <laughs> but it was interesting because the security guard lets her in as if he knows her. Right. Because um, Zoe here, he says, I just got here. I haven't seen her. Yeah. So he lets her in as if, she, if he knows her. And this girl, we find out, is 18. So... What's she doing? Oh, it could be an 18 plus club. Yeah, maybe. But still, it's, you know, interesting to me, like knowing what you know at the end of the film sure. that mm-hmm. he recognizes her and lets her in. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so Riff carries her out, ends up, um, she ends up waking up. He takes her back to his apartment. Oh, right. There I go. Up in that creeper My factor. Habits. However, yeah. however, <laughs> before we see this, we get to part four, the final part. Oh, yes. Titled The Self. So Sarah wakes up. She's got an eye patch on, mm-hmm. um, and she's... I love this look, because this is like a total anime thing. There's just like a weird thing in a lot of horror animes where they get the girl, and then she's got the one like eye patch like yeah, that. Yeah. Well, she's, she looks like an anime character, dude. Oh, yeah. She she's, really does. She's waifish and like, pixie-like. And, and something about the way her hair like swooshes in yeah. the back. Yeah. She, I'm like, she looks otherworldly. how do you get your hair to do that? <laughs> <laughs> but she, she realizes, she wakes up in... Somewhere she doesn't know, but mm-hmm. she wakes up in a bed or a couch, I think, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, she starts to kind of explore and starts to see a lot of the machinery that she's, mm-hmm. that Riff showed her from the study. And then she realizes as she rounds the corner, she is in Riff's apartment. Um, and Riff has himself strapped down to his bed. An advanced level, too. Like, let's let's not beat around it. Like, he is in. He's locked in. Yeah. It makes me wonder if he was a... And there's, like, padding on his bedpost and headboard mm-hmm. and everything, it, it makes me think that he's a sleepwalker. Yeah. Or um, he... What's that called when they can't control their uh, motions when they're sleeping? Because people will, like, punch things mm, and yeah. flail around while still asleep. Maybe that's why I wake up with bruises. Maybe Piper's just, like, punching me in my sleep. No, Probably. I think that's just because well, she, she doesn't like me. She just hates you. She's yeah. not asleep. She's <laughs> fully conscious. She's just, they're always where people can't see, too. It's weird. Um, yeah, and the whole apartment's full of this shimmery blue light, too. And I'm not really sure what the source of this is. It could be the monitors, but they're so small, and some of them are covered up. But anyway, it's very ethereal looking. Like, like water, almost. Right. So she starts kind of creeping on his dream now. Right, because the monitor's hooked up, and it's recording. And she also looks at her eye. Yep. And it's brown and not blue. Yes, yes. Now she has it's like a bloodshot brown eye. Wrong brown eye. Um, I know. I'm I'm classy. <laughs> She's watching this um, the monitor now and watching his dream. Well, his dreams start to get a little. Uh, it includes her. Yeah, a little saucy. Yeah, I mean, the, he, he's driving a car. 
and like he turns to look at the passenger seat and she's in the passenger seat and it's a really freaking cool song too man i i wonder did he write that i i think so it was it was his name dj name pilot pilot priest pilot priest with someone else some other band so i, I think he co-wrote it oh that's cool it had a very birthday massacre vibe to oh, it oh it's very yeah. shoegaze it is yeah. so 80s shoegaze yeah. it's great um and it's, I actually thought it was like I was like, oh, they licensed one eighty song for the film. Yeah. And then when I looked in the credits, I was like, oh, it easily could be. It's fantastic, and she's uh, nude. Apparently, you only mm. see her from like you know. And it's all pixelated. It's all pixelated. Yeah. She's wearing dark sunglasses. You see a reflection of him and her sunglasses. He's also wearing dark sunglasses, and apparently they're vampires. Yeah, they they're, they're larping. Vampire the Masquerade. Apparently, yeah. yeah. This is such a freaking eighty <laughs> scene. This is right out of the Hunger. Yeah, you know, it's just. I thought of the Hunger. Oh, I love this thing so much. Yeah, it's very trippy, real cool. Um, but she starts to see potentially maybe that's how Riff feels about her, or whatever. Yeah, because they start kind of kissing and making out. Yeah, she doesn't seem upset about it. She seems a little flattered by it. You can't control what you dream, you know. But she's not upset about it. Well, he ends up. Um, that's when he starts freaking out, right? Well, he sees the shadow figure. Right, the he shadow figure. Too. He's suffering from sleep paralysis as well. His and eyes are open, and he sees the figure in the corner, and she's trying to wake him up and everything. Right, and she's having trouble waking him up or whatever, but she finally does get him awake. It's mm-hmm. another great scene where the shadow figure's coming at him, and the score is building oh, yeah. you know, bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, when he finally gets awake, you know, they kind of you know, have a moment and discuss, like, okay, well, they end up... And I don't know if it's here or earlier. It might have happened, but he t- he finally explains why they call him Riff. Well, they're at the. They go to a diner. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she goes to check her eye, and it's blue again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And clearing up. So she comes. This and is when when they're driving back. Yeah. That's when he explains the Riff thing, which is a Rocky Horror Picture Show reference because he's the main assistant to Doctor Meyer, mm-hmm. and because Sarah is so fucking cool, she gets the reference immediately. She says, "Oh, you're Doctor Meyer's Igor," mm-hmm. because it's yeah. Riff Raff from Rocky Horror. This is where I did have a little pause. Mm-hmm. Because... They she, go back to the apartment. Well, in the car, <laughs> he says, like, I wouldn't expect somebody your age to know that. She says, I'm 18. And she's like, I'm 18. Mm-hmm. Well, when she said that, I was like, God damn. They're setting it up. Like The other thing, too, is, is she really 18? Because I thought at first she lied to get into the sleep study. I wondered if she was actually younger than that. I don't, that was kind of the impression I, hope I got. I she's 18 based on what happens. Yeah. Well, the the character, she, the actress was 20-something. Yeah, no, but I mean, character. still, as far as character right. goes. We're talking like about the narrative, story. Jason. Sorry, okay. <laughs> but at the end of the day, doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. At the end at, of the movie. Yeah, at the end of the movie. Does it matter? At the end of the day, yes, Jason. It absolutely <laughs> does fucking matter. <laughs> at the end of the movie, no. Yeah, um, okay. But she ends up telling Riff in the car. She said, you know, I saw your dream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, hey, let's go bone. Yeah. Um, which is what they do. Yep. Um, I kind of had problems with it just because, like, there's almost no chemistry between them. No. And it just, like, jumps to this. There's not, but I also saw it as one of those things where it's almost like a comfort. <laughs> and I don't, that's the wrong word for it, but there are times, like, when people are so freaked out and, like, mm-hmm. Adrenaline is high, emotions are high, like it's just well, what they turn to. Given the Jungian nature of this movie that we find out at the end, I, I consider this to be more like masturbation than sex. That's true. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> but in the moment, we don't know this. Sure. So they're boning. Um, yep. 
she's on top and he starts to see the shadowman behind her. Right. You know, I watched this with Tiffany and she made fun of this part because she was like, oh, well, of course that's the position he would choose. It's so lame. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But one thing that I did want to... A little little hate on Riff there. So what what I do want to note is that during the sex scene, she, as things start to progress, Mm -hmm. she ends up having another seizure. Right. And she goes unconscious. The shadow people show up again, too. They do. On the periphery of things. What I'm really happy about is this movie showed Riff stop. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that was super important. Yeah. Oh, that's right, because she's the one seeing the shadow, man. That's right. I'm sorry. Right. It's like her perspective. I was confused with the earlier scene. And then she she passes out. Riff realizes something's wrong, and he actually stops, which is... I know it's something so simple and Mm -hmm. so small, but, like, that needs to be in... That needs to be more. Like, sure. We need to see responsible people doing the responsible thing more. Mm, I agree. You know, because my initial thought was, damn, you know? <laughs> but also at the same time, like now... Well, why you've never fucked a woman unconscious? Is that what you're saying? I certainly have not, Jason. Oh my God. I certainly have not. <laughs> oh, shit. Any, uh, any podcasts out there looking for a co-host? Yeah. <laughs> uh, after Brimstone comes out and this one, I don't think there's any guy that just killed everything. Okay. Um, yeah. Sheesh. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just dropped my goddamn phone because of that. <laughs> so he takes her to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Drops her off. They're checking her out. Yeah, they're giving her all these exams. Show, shove her in the MRI machine and he, all this he's stuff. He's anxious, wanting to know how she's doing. He falls asleep, wakes up, and she's not there. Well, he, he has a dream, right? Let's see. He has like a visiony dream thing too, right? And it's like the weird like maze, and there's the figure that's made of hands. Correct. Yes. This was the one time I actually thought it was a cool visual that I wasn't just like Blumhousey. Yeah, it's like it's like it was like human legs, right? Mm-hmm. Come walking out, but then it's like more legs on top and hands and, and arms. Hands. Yeah. yeah just... I thought it was very Silent Hillish. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Yeah, sure. I, yeah. I liked that one a lot. Yeah, I thought that one was good. It was cool. More um, of that, please. And this is when he runs down, like he's trying to find her because she's not in her bed anymore mm-hmm. when he wakes up. And he's trying to find where she's at, and he runs downstairs. Yeah, and, to the nurse's station. And this hospital's empty. Again, like, that's something to take note yeah, of. Yeah, mm-hmm. completely empty hospital. The nurse that's sitting there. It's like Halloween 2 empty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, she's the like. The original first Halloween 2. Yeah. The one, yeah. Well, there is a hospital scene in the mm, other one. That. There's only the one Halloween 2 from 1981. Hey, the Rob Zombie one's pretty cool. (laughs) Okay. Knock it off, you two. (laughs) I'll pull this car over. Uh, He ends up talking to the nurse, and and she asks him, well, what room's she in? And here it is. She's in room 237. What's the significance? uh, That's the same room as The Shining. Um, Is there a significance, though, to it? Other than just a shout-out to it being in the show? No, I think there is a significance. Okay, which we'll get to it. Yeah, which we'll do it now. No, I think we'll get to it. Okay. Because there's there's several numbers we'll need to talk about at the end. (laughs) But this was something super... Like, I love the nod. There's been a bunch of movies I've seen where they nod to, like, Room 237. Like, uh, Triangle Mm -hmm. did that, which I thought was super cool, which also is dealing with the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... A movie I like a lot. Someone here doesn't. Yeah, I wasn't so impressed by it, but you know. Oh, God. Uh, Anyway... Um, the, I love the security guard who steps out 
Yeah, they tell him to go look for her. But the security guard's like the typical old-ass security guard yeah. that looks like he's not going to be able to do shit. What are you going to do, buddy? <laughs> and Riff clearly doesn't trust him, because after he's gone for a little bit, he kind of just drifts in there to the security room. Yeah, which and he sees Sarah apparently just sleepwalking in the parking garage. Mm-hmm. Right. So now he takes off after her. Um, he finds her, and she's just going. He can't stop her. He tries to stop her, and she actually starts convulsing, and her eyes begin to bleed. Mm. So he decides, I'm not going to stop her. I'm just going to walk. walk with her and keep her safe. <laughs> and he calls Anita. Who he's already in hot water with. And he's, she's, he's never fucking come back. Yeah, and this is when <laughs> I, I get the impression that perhaps they have a relationship, or had one at some point, or she likes him. Mm. I, I get that. I kind of got the vibe that impression. she was maybe into him a little yeah, bit. Yeah, right. But anyway, she, he talks her into coming... Uh, the, grabbing some equipment and, and finding them and coming to them. And it seems like they walk forever. And yeah. the street is empty. We don't see anybody. No cars, yeah, they walk, no people, nothing. And, and they also walk through like a neighborhood too, yeah. which is empty. Yeah. And eventually Anita finds them uh, and they hook her up to like a mobile unit yeah. of the dream machine. They put the thing on her head and they have like a monitor behind and they put slippers on her and a house coat type thing. And the she, monitor that she holds to watch it um, that was where I really got the video drone vibe. Yeah. Like if you just pulled that up to your face, that's like the uh-huh. yeah right. And also the cable from the device to her head looks a lot like an umbilical cable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, good to note. Yeah, so they keep walking, keep walking, and they could see in the monitor like her dream, and it's very much like we've already seen. Yep, she's she's going down the corridor. Yeah, she's going through the doors and stuff like that, and eventually they wind up in the woods, mm-hmm. and. She is going deeper into that building that we saw from before. Uh, they hear an alarm going off. Mm-hmm. And there's shadowy figures kind of on the periphery, too, in the dream. That's correct. Yeah, in the monitor. Mm-hmm. You can they're see all the, watching them. Like, yeah, they're yeah. just watching. And it's like an honor guard, and they're walking <laughs> in between them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then they hear the alarm going off, and it's a cell phone laying over there in the grass. And it says, I believe it says unknown caller, right? Yes, yeah. it does. And, and Riff answers it. Riff answers it, and you see like a flash of some weird symbol, and there's like a noise, mm-hmm. and it causes Sarah to scream out and fall unconscious or fall wake up actually. And her yeah. eyes start bleeding again. Her eyes start bleeding again. She kind of falls to the ground. Yeah. And so I think at that point she realize like she realizes she's hooked up to everything, and she's like, "Did you see it? You know, did mm-hmm. you see everything?" Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Yeah, we did." Um, and it's from here. Well, he shows her the phone, and then she's like, "That that's my phone? That's yeah, my phone. they're walking yeah. back. Like, yeah. They're oh, following that, back through this path now. And the, the pattern on the phone looks a lot like those uh, hypnagogic images from before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just see a flash of it, but that's the impression I got. So they're walking back now. Like, she's awake. They're walking back, and they're starting to say, like, it feels like we've been here before. Are we, you know, is, are we sure this is the right way? He's like, there's only one way. Mm-hmm. Well, that's when... They're looking at the phone, and she said, where'd you get that? And he said, I found it. Like, she says, that's my phone. And this is where shit, like... Yeah, the phone kind of bugs out a little bit. Yeah. And they start to see in the... And through the real world now, mm-hmm. they start to see the shadowy figures yeah, with the like glowing eyes, glowing eyes, the all line. in the tree line. Very cool moment. Yeah. And so she says, "We got to get out of here. <laughs> run. We have to run." <laughs> and so they take off, and I really liked the way this was shot. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing groundbreaking, but, but it's, it's so just, minimalist. Yeah, it was just a great way to do it. Keep everything in the dark. Yep. Light your characters. Give the sense of of fear and dread and like urgency. Mm-hmm. 
And so as you see Anita start to fall behind just a little bit, but of them. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you just hear her scream and she's like ripped out of, out of yep. sight. Yeah, now she's, she's like in the darkness. Away, yeah. um, it did everything right. The devil's past did wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, now we see them continue running. Now Riff is starting to fall behind a little bit. Same thing happens. Riff gets mm-hmm. jerked back. Um, and now I'm trying to remember like, well, she kind of stops and she still has her phone. So she has a little bit of light. Right. She decides she's not running from it anymore. Right. And she sees like the shadowy out of focus, you know, figure approaching her and it it starts to come more into focus and it looks, it's decidedly female looking to me. Yeah. It is hard to tell, but yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And that's when she wakes up to find herself, uh, back in the apartment on Jeremy's couch, uh, naked and covered in blood. And as she, as the camera pulls out, like she's covered in blood, the camera pulls out, you see that she is actually on top of Jeremy. Mm-hmm. They're both naked, but she has gouged out his eyes with yeah, her she, thumbs. Crazy yep. visuals, too, where she just pulls her hands up and both her thumbs are just blood red. Yeah. So she kind of like is staring in horror and she ends up standing up and walking to the bathroom, like to mm-hmm. go to, to look in the mirror. And... She's looking in the mirror like she's great, beautiful lighting here. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really well done. Like this bright. Well, it's op- so stark and antiseptic. Yeah. Also very Cronenbergian. And she's, but the juxtaposition like of her covered in blood. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful image. And she's looking in the mirror and like she sees, she's like looking in her mouth. Well, her phone also dings at this point. It, it's yeah. the she, phone first because she checks the message and yep. we don't see what it is, but she does. She, and she throws it down. She just lays yep. it back down. And that's when she turns to the mirror. She turns to the mirror and she's looking, just kind of examining herself. And all of a sudden, like, she has, like, vampire teeth. Vampire fangs. Just like the dream that Riff had. And then we... she kind of laughs. Like, Mm -hmm. almost... It's kind of an incredulous laugh, but also, like... Like, I can't believe this is really happening kind of laugh. It's one of those things that if that laugh had been the final scene of the movie, for years people would debate what that laugh was, I think. You're probably right. Yeah. However, yeah, we get we see what the message is on the phone. Yeah, it pans over to the phone and we see this text. Okay, you want to read it? Uh, I assume you have it up. So I I'll do have it up do. right here. Okay. <clears throat> on the phone it says, "If you are reading this, you've been in a coma for almost twenty years. We are trying a new technique. We don't know where this message will end up in your dream. Please wake up." And that's where it ends. I was very. <sighs> Uh. <laughs> so let's just talk about this ending first before we, we thread back through, I think. How do, I, you, how do you feel about this ending, Michael? Honestly, it pissed me off at first. Like, the more I've sat with the film, I'm not as mad about it, mm-hmm. and I'm willing to accept it as what it is and how the story plays out. And I've mm-hmm. been had time to go back and, like, connect some threads through the film. And I'm like, okay, might not have been what I wanted to see and how I would have liked the film to end. Mm-hmm. But also at the same time, I didn't write it. It's not my vision. So, but at the time, I was like, "God damn it! <laughs> like, don't fucking do the Saint Elmo's fire thing or Saint Elmo. What is it? What is that show? Uh, God damn it! There's a show that turned out that it was all in a snow globe. Mm-hmm. What was that show? Saint Elsewhere. Saint Elsewhere. <laughs> Saint Elmo's fire was the song. That was a movie too. Yeah. Yeah. Saint yeah. Elmo's fire. Um. I'm kind of with you there on that. Like it was a real harsh reaction I had when it first came up. It just pulled me right out 
of everything, all, all the highs I had had throughout the film. And I just had one of those, like, oh, fucking, really, man? And like I said, having more time to talk about it, think about it, go back. I'm not as pissed off about it mm-hmm. as I was initially, but, man, at the I was fucking pissed. How did it strike you, Jason? You've been kind of quiet. Um, I mean, it wasn't really a surprise, you know? I was kind of half expecting her to be actually like dead or or asleep the entire time or what have you. Um, so it doesn't bother me. It doesn't ruin the movie for me one bit. Um, you're smarter than us, though. Is what you're trying to say? No, I'm not well, trying no, to I, say that. I called the ending like well, yeah, three fourths of the way through. <laughs> right, right. Because I'll, I'll tell this story on air. I was watching it with Tiffany, and I think it was when she's sleepwalking. She was kind of like, "What the hell's going on? This doesn't make any sense." And she's like, "Do you understand something that I don't yet?" And I was like, "Well, I've got some thoughts." And I was like, so she's like, we'll explain it. And I was like, well, we'll just wait and see. I was like, but I'll just really hate it if it gets to the end. And it's like, oh, surprise, she was in a coma the whole time. <laughs> and then, ooh, that's what it Uh-oh. was. Does it ruin the movie for you? We'll get into that. Okay, all right. So this is what we have. We put pins in a bunch of stuff. So let's let's shoot back and forth now and kind of thread all this stuff in. When she wakes up at the very start of the film, it goes out of its way to show us the time that she's waking up, which mm-hmm. is seven eleven. Right. So that number has some significance. Do okay. either of you know what that is? I know it's a convenience store. It is. It is a convenience store. Shut the fuck up, Jason. Uh, so in a lot of spiritual thinking, there's a meaning to it that if you see that number, and it's kind of like one of those like uh, you know uh, synchronicities that we've talked about before in other episodes, where there's like a little random thing that happens, but maybe there's some supernatural coincidence to it. Mm-hmm. Um. It's usually associated with the idea of someone waking up to like their inner desires or transforming into their true self and realizing who they are. Interesting. Interesting. Very much so. Um, and then we have 237, the room. Mm-hmm. So there's the Shining reference, and then Jason, you said there was a little more to that. To the Shining reference? The 237? Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was asking Michael what further... That's when Jack Torrance starts to lose it. Mm-hmm. That's when he for sure knows that he is... This is when he's truly right. seen something okay. that is now. I can see that he's kind of because open. In, in two, three, seven, that's where he sees the woman in the bath. Exactly, and, mm-hmm. and the, I think, and for me, when I watched The Shining, when he when he actually goes into room two, three, seven, and he gives in to the woman, and he knows she's not real, like he has or does he does he? But <laughs> but I think at that point, that's when you know that. He's disconnected. He's given himself over to the, the presence. To right, stay. right. He's disconnected from who he was before. So the other, the third notable number is that when they recover the cell phone, uh, when she checks it, the time on it is 10.01. And mm-hmm. so first interesting thing is that's like a mirrored number, right? If you mm-hmm. look at it either way, it's the same number. Um, and that has another like spiritual, supernaturally significance that's considered by a lot of people. And that's that it's a sign that guardian angels or a guardian spirit is trying to communicate with you. Usually that's from the sense that you need some kind of help because you're having an issue in life. And this protective force is like trying to reach you to help you through it. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, just mull on those, right? Mm -hmm. Interesting ideas. Little subtle things. Was it intentional or not? Who knows? Probably. I think this will bring me back to my first pin that we put in um, when she turns the light on Mm -hmm. in her mom's house. The way her mom approached the room 
to me was not what I expected. Her mom was not angry. It didn't right. seem like it was almost like a concern. Yeah, a concern. Like Sarah, you're here, you know. And but the fact that she turned that light on and she didn't have to was interesting to me. That it signaled her mom. So that to me was almost like now when I view it, it's like her mom thought she might have been coming out of the coma. Yeah, like she opened her eyes or moved a finger or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. she gave some sort of signal that she's in there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or whatever. So I yeah, can see that. There's that's a cool. I hadn't considered that. That's actually a cool. Yeah, I like that thing. pickup. And That's, obviously, Sarah doesn't want to wake up because <laughs> she seems to be, you know, retreating from her mother. She waits for her mother to leave the house before she goes over. Right. And mm-hmm. She's anxious not to get caught. Comas are one of those things to me that's kind of terrifying. Yeah, because, just the idea of it. Ju- yeah, just because we don't know. Like, mm, there's yeah. so much of what's going on within someone's mind. Like, we know they're not brain dead. Sure. When they're in the coma and with his, like... I've read stories of people who claim they were conscious the entire time. Mm-hmm. You know, that they could hear what was going on. That's just so wild to me. Like, that's and one then, of those things that I try not to think about too much because yeah. it's so wild that I don't want to get lost in that rabbit hole. Right. And then the back end of it, too, is if you come out of it and it's been, like, a significant amount of time, just how much has changed that you haven't experienced or have no sense of. Mm-hmm. And then to like try to acclimate to that. Yeah. And then you touch people and you can like see what happened in their past or in their future. <laughs> the ice <laughs> is going to break. <laughs> so let's talk about these title cards. That's the last piece of the puzzle, I think. Okay. The persona was the first one. Right. So these are all Jungian archetypes. Carl Jung, psychologist. This is why we need someone with a PhD in this. Um, developed on ideas of prior people. Same thing. There's people that have developed past Jung, but a lot of people like to refer to his stuff because it's pretty pretty interesting, I guess, for the scope of talking about things. Sure. Um, so our first title card is Persona, right? Yep, yep, sure is. And so what is that in the terms of Jungian archetype? So the Persona is the social face that the individual presents to the world. It could be thought of as like a mask that one would wear to make a definite impression upon others and to conceal maybe some of their true nature away from other individuals. You can think of this as like the person that we want the world to see. It's maybe a more polished version of who we really are. And the job of the persona is considered to kind of tamp down all emotions and instincts that wouldn't be socially acceptable. Um, Problems could arise if the persona perhaps overwhelmed the real self, and that could lead to a person not being able to distinguish between their authentic self and the image they're trying to portray. Mm Mm-hmm. So that would seem to infer that at the beginning of the movie, she's just playing the role of like a high school student. She's just an innocent teenage girl. Who just can't sleep and doesn't want to be around her mom. Has some family problems. What teenager doesn't have some family problems at some point, to some degree? Sure. Um, And I think it's worth talking about Zoe in the early part of the film because she is just like this loving, perfect best friend that totally supports her Mm -hmm. in everything that she does. And in a way, it's almost like she, to me, is like a personification of her persona. Because she is also just a random teenage girl. Yeah. And she kind of like pulls her along in this, like, you know, this this story, this narrative. And in the scope of the film, I wanted to note this. It's when she gets removed from the equation by her phone being stolen that we kind of progress beyond and go into like deeper, heavier stuff. Right. Because when her phone is gone and she goes to Zoe's house, no one's there. Zoe's not there anymore. Right. She's just gone. Her contact with Zoe is out of there. It's like, she's like deleted 
from yeah. existence. And so it could be like some sort of a mental projection in her own head, or it could be like a real person in the real world, mm-hmm. like someone who's sitting there and talking to her, like a friend supporting her, but then the friend's not there anymore. And then even to that scene where she loses the phone, it's very weird, right? Because she mm-hmm. has this moment, and then she just wakes up and the phone's gone. And so in the scheme of like the bigger plot of she's in the coma and they're doing some kind of experiment to reach her, I almost wonder if that was like a trigger that they caused to try to like break this pattern. Yeah, or part of that new technique mm-hmm. that we hear about at the end. Yeah. So that's that's the persona. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll move into the next one, which is the shadow. Or well, the shadow self. Uh, Anima and Animus was the second one, wasn't it? Was it? I believe so, yeah. Mm. Yeah, because that's where we start... Uh, I always think it when it said the anima and the animus, I thought of immediately Assassin's Creed when they go to the animus. I, I thought Dustin may have seen it and thought it said anime and they no. got really excited. No, no, no. Woo! <laughs> um, so Jung decided, described the animus as the unconscious masculine side of a woman and the anima as the unconscious feminine side of a man, each transcending the personal psyche. Uh, in his theory, it states that the anima and the animus are the two primary anthropomorphic archetypes of the unconscious mind as opposed to the theriomorphic and inferior functions of the shadow archetypes, which we'll talk about in a minute. Shadow archetypes, that's our, that's our next title card. Um, he thought that these were abstract symbol sets that uh, formulate an archetype of the self, which is another thing we're going to talk about. That's our other title card. Mm-hmm. Uh, in his theory, the anima makes up the totality of the unconscious feminine psychological qualities that a man possesses, and the animus vice versa, the masculine ones, in a woman uh, he did not believe they were the aggregate of any specific thing of like a father, mother, brother, sisters, aunts, and on. Um, though it's considered these aspects of the personal unconsciousness can influence a person's anima or animus. Um, so he suggested the idea that a male sensitivity is often lesser or repressed and therefore considered the anima one of the most significant autonomous complexes. Um, he also believed that the anima and the animus manifest themselves by appearing in dreams and can influence a person's attitudes and interactions toward the opposite sex. Um, the dude hit on so many good points like through a lot of his stuff and yeah. then just throws out some utter bullshit <laughs> in the middle of it <laughs> right? that automatically make you be like, man, fuck this guy. Right. Well, it is placed in the time that he was working. I don't give a shit. We definitely, we definitely <laughs> progressed since and then. It, it doesn't mean that all of his theories are wrong either. Right, right, right. Because he hits on a lot of stuff, but then it just makes you wonder, like, how'd you get that so right and that so fucking well, wrong? No, you know? plus, I mean, when was he, you know, we learned so much more as the decades mm-hmm. progress. No, we don't. We learned nothing. And there's people that have gone and kind of revised his ideas right. and, like, developed them further. Uh, a few more things about this. Um so there's this idea with this that there's a natural understanding of another member of the opposite sex that's instilled in individuals that stems from the constant subjection to members of that opposite sex. Um, this instillment leads to the development of the anima and the animus. Uh, he, was, he stated before that the encounter with the shadow is the apprentice piece in the individual's development. And thus, it's with the anima that there becomes the masterpiece. So she's already had interactions with the shadow archetype in her dream. Mm. Um, Jung also viewed the anima process as being one of the sources of creative abilities in people. Okay. Um, so there's a thing to this, too, that they thought that if a man were to reject their anima, there would be this loss of sensitivity and love would give way to like moodiness and possessiveness instead. And vice versa, if a woman denied her animus, that instead of being any kind of like assertive or any sense of like ambitiousness, 
it would give way to aggressiveness and ruthless behavior. Mm. Okay. So to put that in a little context of the film, I kind of wondered if maybe in the scheme of things, Jeremy, a.k.a. Riff, is sort of her masculine side personified. Absolutely. And you can see this too in the dream, and then once she kills him at the end of the film, that's when this these fangs come in, which is very like aggressive, a visceral aggressiveness. Yeah. Um, at that point, she's she's killed her animus, and she's adopted these like more aggressive traits. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if any of you had this thought, but when I first saw Jeremy, got a good look at him. I thought he had very feminine features. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, honestly, uh, we should say the guy that plays him, Landon Le, Leboiron. I think it's his last name. Sorry, I probably butchered that. It's those crazy Canadian names. <laughs> those French oh. Canadians. When I first saw it, I kid you not, I was like, whoa, that's Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. What the, what the hell? He's <laughs> like slumming it in a lesser film. <laughs> He's like the one star name they had or something. But no, yeah. this guy was a good actor. He was good. Um, but if you look at his... Uh, interesting. It's interesting that you say that because if you look at the dude's IMDb picture, um, that's really... They did a lot through costume mm-hmm. and styling and yeah. styling mm-hmm. to give him more of a less aggressive appearance. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to say feminine features cause you could, but I think he's very, he's very non aggressive. Like you would not look at this guy and think that he was right. Macho. <laughs> sure. And I will say to the extent of what you were talking about, Michael, uh, we're kind of just defining these broadly based on like the common knowledge of what they were. All of this was talking about, you know, man and woman. And we've definitely gone to like a different place in this, but that was in the time that he was writing. That's what he was rolling with. Right, yeah. Do um, what you will. Uh, so our next title card is... Well, I want to ask a question of you guys real quick. Okay. Because this makes me think of something. Um, since this movie is all about dreams and subconscious and things like that. And I may regret this. But have you guys ever dreamed that you were a girl? Like right now I am, but... <laughs> have you ever had a dream where you were a female? Uh, yeah, yeah, I have actually. Okay, yeah. I don't think I have. Really none have, none I have. that I've, none that I've remember enough really? that I could tell you for sure that I have. Uh, mm. I wouldn't say mine are recurring, but I mean it's it's it, it's happened a few times a year for sure. Mm. And so I'm not alone in this. You've, that's yeah. happened to you too, Dustin. Okay. Yeah. I tend to. I have really troubled sleep though, and I tend to have more nightmares than I do like actual constructive dreams. Mm. So I'm not sure that. I'm a fair person to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, those of you listening out there, if you are, have you ever had a dream where you were uh, the opposite sex? Let us know. That is an interesting point. Tell us about your dreams. Yeah, let us know all about it. <laughs> I've divulged some of my dark secrets. It's only fair you guys do too. <laughs> oh God. Um, so our next ar- archetype is the shadow, also sometimes known as the shadow self. So this is an unconscious aspect of person of person's personality that the conscious ego does not identify in itself, or uh, the entirety of the unconsciousness. Uh, that is everything of which a person is not fully conscious of, in a sense. So you could say that a person's shadow is their unknown side. Um, that can include everything outside of the light of consciousness, and it could be positive or negative. And because it's often aspects of oneself that you reject or remain ignorant of it could be seen as like the less desirable aspects of who who you are in your personality and so very often when we talk about the shadow it's going to be in this negative sense um but there can be positive aspects to it that might be hidden especially uh he theorized in people with perhaps low self-esteem or a lot of anxiety or if they're trapped in some sort of like particular dogma that's been placed upon them um 
In some of his writing, he said, and I thought this was cool to mention, everyone carries a shadow, and the less it, embody, less it, is, the less it is embodied in the individual's conscious life, the blacker and denser it is. Um, that's actually a very... Thought. That's a really important thing, because I suffer from really terrible anxiety, and before I was able to find counseling for it and work through it, it was crippling. Like, mm. could not... Like, there was a lot of stuff I couldn't do. And I still struggle with anxiety a lot, but one of the interesting things is when you learn to... Um, you can do it through meditation, but when you learn to be present and be mindful mm-hmm. of how you feel and you start to name what you feel like today I was feeling extremely anxious and I like, I didn't know why. And it took me because you're about to see me. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but it took me sitting down and like trying to be mindful of the present and realizing like, okay, this is my mind trying to find like, there's nothing really with as much like drama as I've had in my personal life in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm it's all kind of calmed down. And so right now my brain is really grasping for something to worry about mm. and something. Cause like, that's all it's known for the last couple of weeks. So it's really trying to find like, we need to worry about something like we yeah, were, it's called mother itis. <laughs> <laughs> we're really, really good at this and we need to worry about it. But it's like when I started being able to bring that shadow part into the light and say, this is why I'm feeling anxious. Mm. You start to be able to quell it. You know, and start to feel a little bit more calm and realizing, okay, hmm. I understand why this is. So it's like how you were saying that if mm-hmm. you, the less you embody it in your conscious life, you know, the stronger it gets. So mm-hmm. like the more you try to press back anxiety and try to pretend it's not there, like the worse it gets, right. <laughs> you huh. almost have to like bring it out. That's cool. That's, that's an interesting correlation. Uh, so. A little more about it. Um, sometimes it's considered in part maybe your link to more primitive animal instincts that get superseded during early childhood by the conscious mind. Uh, often it's considered to be maybe unknown darker sides of one's personality, uh, traits that are a part of us that we may not want to accept as being there, things like jealousy, greed, things like that, that, you know, common feeling, feelings to everyone, really, when you think about it, but, like, no one wants to think about, like, oh, well, I'm just a jealous person, mm-hmm. even though you may have those feelings sometimes. They're right. completely... Honestly, those feelings are completely normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it like, can be hard to accept. Right. Because you think about it, you're like, I don't want to be thought of as, you know, someone who's really jealous or someone that's really greedy or any of those kind of darker aspects to a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also the idea in all of this that one could confront their shadow, often through dreams... And through that, you can gain an understanding about yourself that you may not actively realize, which gets a little more into what you were talking about, Michael. Yeah, it does. It dovetails nicely. Mm-hmm. So connecting this to the film. It's almost like we know what we're doing. I don't think we do. No. I prepared for this one. <laughs> um, so if we stick with the film, what we're talking about with Sarah and everything that's going on, at the start of the film, she's deeply entrenched, or we could say indulging her persona. So perhaps in a way, the shadowy figure she sees is literally the embodiment of her shadow, and it's you know coming toward her, wanting to approach her, bring to her some sort of truth, but she's always fleeing it. She's waking up. Mm-hmm. At the end of the film, when they come for her, she's running from them. Um, and then maybe also this is why in the sleep study, everybody has the same dream, because they bring that up as like a significance. And in the middle of the film, they kind of play it like, oh, it's some sort of supernatural phenomenon then, that they're all dreaming of this person. But maybe really, if we think about like with the context of the ending and that text message, maybe all of the people in the sleep study are representations of her situation. People that are deeply indulged in their persona 
and they're denying their shadow. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, and I love how Jung's conception of you know the shadow is just meets up nicely with uh, the shadow people that people sleep during sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's a nice angle to use for this movie. It's a very nice connection. Mm-hmm. So our final archetype, as far as the concern of this film that we should talk about, is the self. So that signifies the unification of the consciousness and unconsciousness that is within a person, and it represents the psyche as a whole. Uh, it's realized as the product of individuation. Individuation. That's a hard word to say right off the top. Individuation. Um, which you in, nailed it, Dustin. Which in his view is the process of integrating the various aspects of one's personality. That's, you know, like the, the aspects of your persona, your shadow, your anima animus, all kind of like understanding all of those and knowing them. And integrating those make a totality that is the self. Um, you can describe it as encompassing the complete whole, which acts as the container for an individual. Um, it could be symbolized in visual as like a circle or a square, or sometimes as a mandala. And there's an idea that there are two centers of the personality distinguished um, at one time. The ego has been seen as like the center of consciousness, and then the self is defined as the total personality, which includes that consciousness, but also more. The unconsciousness, the ego, everything, uh, the whole in the center. And this is getting very... Welcome to psychology. Very, very out there, wacky-dacky. <laughs> I know, stick with me here. No, so, um, um, so Jung considered that from birth, every individual has an original sense of wholeness, which is this self. Um, but with the development, a separate ego consciousness crystallizes out of the original feeling of unity. Um, ooh, I lost myself. I'm buried in notes here. Okay, so uh, this process of <laughs> e- ego different differentiation blah, provides the task of the first half of one's life, essentially. Um, so that's just saying, you know, when you're born, you're the totality of who you are. And as you kind of grow and learn and realize things about the world, world, you kind of split <laughs> into what you've know, what you're knowing and what you're learning. And then who you kind of truly were from the start and his perception of how a person is. Sure. Um, and then, so from that, then um, he saw this idea as like, there would need to be a return to the sense of self. And then often he suggested this was facilitated by the use of, like, myths or initiation ceremonies or rites of passages, um, a lot of which, you know, we have kind of lost <laughs> in the modern sense of the world. In a lot of ways, yes. Um, so once ego differ- differentiation has been more or less successfully achieved and the individual is somewhat anchored into the external world, Jung then considered a new task arose for the second half of a person's life. And that is the return to and conscious rediscovery of the totality of the self, um, which is individuation. So you can think of the process of that as coming to terms with one's own inner center, uh, the totality of yourself, and that it usually started with a wounding of the personality. Um, You could think of it as like the ego reaches an impasse of one sort or another and has to turn to help what is often termed as like a hidden like regulating or ten- tendency that organizes the center of your personality. Um, 
Yep. So if we thread all this through together, I'm going to try to shorten my notes because I, <laughs> I wrote down way too much that we need to care I about. Was, I was reading through a lot of the material you're looking at right now, mm-hmm. and I had to stop and my eyes started getting cross-eyed. So basically it's this whole idea <laughs> of that like once, you, once you've like separated and you're this person, you've maybe lost some aspects of yourself. In his idea, the, the goal is to kind of like reaffirm and know who you are, right? Sure. And so from that, it involves like coming to understanding with all these other archetypes, the persona, the shadow, animus, animus anima, and that kind of in the process of understanding all of these, you will come to fully know the self and reach that state of like self-realization. Is this what happens to Sarah in the movie? So that's, that's let me thread this final point then oh, with okay. all of this together. Oh, sure. um, so if we think about it very simply... Once an individual kind of moves past their persona, is able to integrate their shadow and also their anima animus, that's when you're reaching the deepest reaches of your mind and who you are, the self. The self is everything we are, everything we once were, everything we will become. Um, It is from this point that self-actualization grows out and it's kind of could be seen as like the highest level of enlightenment and that only comes once you've moved through all these things. So if we put that to Sarah, she begins and she's very entrenched in her persona and she kind of moves through both her shadow and her, I guess for her it would be her animus. Animus. Mm -hmm. And it's after going through all of these things and kind of tackling with them and moving past them, that's when she gets the text message on her phone. So she's worked through all these concepts and she's reached this moment of like self where she's going to find a truth. Mm -hmm. And the truth that's awaiting her is the message on the phone. Which she seems to ignore. She reads it and puts it back down. And to me, it's like she's deciding to ignore that and accept her true self with, I guess, the sexy vampire things. <laughs> I think it's a little abstract. I don't think there's enough to determine. Sure. I mean, yeah, it's up to interpretation, which is one of the things I love about this movie. Because you don't have to go that deep into no, human no, no. psychology to enjoy it. And you can but go, it's all there. You can go far deeper than I've gone to if you want to just start like but, researching these terms. But due to the chapter titles, the director obviously wants you to have a Jungian interpretation of the mm-hmm. movie. I've been kind of quiet, Michael. Yeah, my, head, Michael. my head hurts, man. <laughs> I told you. I was reading this. I was going cross-eyed. I, was like, I, I understand some of this, but not mm. a lot of it. <laughs> I, I get it, and I understand how it applies to the film, and I understand, I, I think it's possible to get too lost in it. Oh, yeah. You know, because then you start to lose the film and the emotion behind the film. Which is still there. It It is. Mm-hmm. I think you have to be careful, because if you, like, I think we, this is truth that where you can hit a fine line, like, how much you want to dissect. <laughs> Sure. And like I'm not saying that Dustin went too far with dissection because I think you stopped where you should, mm. and it, you give the overall broad points to to say like okay, there's some interesting character development and yeah. how we end here. You could write a thesis paper on this movie and oh, yeah. psychology. You know, I mean, there's a lot um, you could say about it. In right? a lot of ways, this is what like saved the film for me in a lot of aspects. Like the stuff that pulled me out, like that ending, like the dream sequences that I was kind of kind of lukewarm on. It was being able to like bite and dig in with this stuff that I was like, oh, yeah, okay. this well, film. Well, let's talk about that if you're all ready to. Um, uh, does, oh, go ahead. I've got one final question just in general about sure. the film yeah. I wanted to pose to you. So the one thing we should talk about is what is real or not? Is any of this film real at any point in time? No. In that, my interpretation, no. That's where I was. What do you think, Michael? I don't think it matters. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't mean it in a. He's like, well, it's a movie, so none of it's real. I don't mean it in a in a dismissive way, but like, sure. What does it matter? I didn't feel based on the end, 
based on the back half of the film, no, I don't think it's real, but mm-hmm. I also don't think it, but I also think reality is what it is to the person who's experiencing it. Subjective. To yes. her, to Sarah, it was very real. To us as the viewer, and maybe even to Riff, if we look at Jeremy as a character and say that part of this is real and part of it is not, mm-hmm. it doesn't change the reality for what it was for Sarah. So, therefore, I don't think it matters so much if it was real or not. Because okay. to her, it very much is. Sure. Because I kind of wondered what people sense. thought. And I went a little digging around here and there. Oh, get other people's opinions, huh? I saw some people saying that they kind of thought maybe the first half of the film is kind of real. And then at some kind of nebulous point, it sort of just blends into being other things. The only thing I would cite as evidence of that theory is that there's one dream she has we don't see her wake up from. Mm-hmm. All the other dreams we see her wake up. True. I think it's when she's having a sleep study. Yeah, the first time. Dream. Yeah. yeah, and that was where a lot of people said the cut was. Yeah. So I can, I can see There's it. There's some evidence there, but I don't know if I like that. I don't either. To me, what I really thought, like I do agree, like none of this is real. This is all just within yeah. the coma, her her unconscious mind. Um, but I wonder, and there's no way to know, but it's a fun thought. Could some of this stuff that's here, may, maybe they're like elements that are pulled from the life she had. Oh, for sure. Perhaps she did have some sort of issue with her mother. Mm-hmm. Or her friend Zoe. She could have had a real friend. Maybe that's why in the scope of the film, we never learn what that is, because she's afraid, perhaps, right. to face the, that. Okay, yeah. We don't ever learn what it is that put her, you know, what put her in the coma. Mm-hmm. We don't learn if um, Jeremy could have been a personification of a real person. Mm-hmm. Maybe the lover she had in life. Yeah, that she had a relationship with that, you know. None of those are there, but I don't think any of those... Well, it's like any dream. I mean, because half the time, something in your dream is something you recognize as being real. Right. Like people you know, and then the other people you never met in your entire life. You're Or you're in some weird place with people you do know. That's what mm-hmm. makes nightmares so terrifying, is that it all it almost typically involves something that you know. Yeah. There may be things that are not connected to what you know, but what makes it real and what makes it scary and mm-hmm. what makes it a nightmare is that there's something you know in it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something that's very tangible that grounds you to it, which is usually like I have night terrors. So like a lot of times I'll wake up. Do you strap yourself in bed? Like, uh, no, it's actually stopped since my son was born just because I'm so fucking tired. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't even think I dream anymore. Hey, <laughs> I'm just well, so damn tired. But it. before then, yeah, I used to wake up and like my wife would have to be like, I would wake up screaming and she'd have to be like, you're in a dream, you're in a dream. And she would actually have to wake me up a little bit out of it. But all of those felt so real because there was always something in them that was, that I knew, you know, something about it. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Our listeners have learned way more about my, we're we're opening up to my psyche. This has been a deep ass episode, yo. Yeah, it has. Thanks, Urban Groucho, for Cliffy this Cliffy better fucking love this one. <laughs> you want some research, Cliffy? <laughs> Dustin gave you research, and we gave you research into our minds. Yeah, so perhaps we've exposed you to too much. <laughs> so I, think I think we're good for final thoughts now, perhaps. Let's do it. Let's do it. People are probably way done listening okay, to this I, I, I've seen this movie before, so I've talked a little bit about it. I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts first, okay. if that's cool. I think I'll go first this time. Okay. Usually they we save me for last, like it's some big buildup. Yeah. Um, so I do have quibbles with this film. Play. It's the foreplay. Yeah. You're the climax of genre exposure. Jason and I are just foreplay. I'm going to be the foreplay this time. So, um, yeah, I do have problems with it. Those dream sequences, like, uh, I wish they had been something else. I don't know what I want them to be, but th- they were a little weak to me. Um, the score is amazing. The, all the cast is amazing. Mm-hmm. The concepts are amazing. I don't like that ending. 
to me, I really feel like if you sliced off that ending, I would still have all the same feelings and all the same greatness. And I would maybe even reach that point of like, hmm, maybe she's in a coma or something. And um, it just seemed very unnecessary. It's very one of those like signposts to the viewer. Um, and to me, if we're talking about, let's go back to like when you first mentioned this to us, the Cronenberg Lynch thing. Mm-hmm. If this film was really Lynchian, it would not have that little ending part with the text message. It would just cut off. And it would be like, well, what do you think? I'm never going to tell you. Haha, David Lynch. No, you're not wrong. Um, so that's where, like, on the Lynchian side, it kind of kind of weakens for me a little bit. But all that said, there's so many interesting things to, like, talk about with this film, to dissect, to tear, to, tear, to pull apart. And just all the execution is just firing on point, like the visuals, the music, the way everything blends together. Little subtle things that we pointed out, like the the times being shown, or the way something's framed or angled, and mm-hmm. you know Jeremy's first like out of focus when we are introduced to him. Um, God, it's just so meticulous and so well done, and I loved all that stuff. So, I would say if I had like rated this like just boomed right to letterbox when I finished it. That's my question. Yes. If I just did it right then and didn't go any further, I think I probably would have been about like a three. That would be where okay. I was. Where I was like, it's pretty good. However having sat with this and thought about it and gone back to it and done this research and analyzed, I settle on a four out of five. I really quite like this film. Nice. It's not perfect, but it's damn good. All right. And especially for like, I guess technically a first feature, he might have another one before this, but yeah, we'll have to look into that. um, To be like a early film for a director. This is an amazing uh, Mm -hmm. bit of work. Oh yeah. Major talent here. Jason, you want to go? And I'll round us out, or do you want sure, to? Sure, I mean, I can go if you want me to. I mean, I don't care. Okay. Uh, well, like, I've seen this before. I gushed about it then. You recommended it. I recommended mm-hmm. it. Um, so, I did a little bit of research before going back and watching it again, which helped inform my opinions. Yeah, I wanted to ask you a question, since you're doing your your feelings. Um, how, how did it feel watching it when you knew the twist? Did you notice anything different or have different, like, take on anything? I was looking for more of the, the clues mm-hmm. that she was in a coma the entire time. Cool. Um, but you know what? It didn't affect the way I watched the movie one bit. Mm. And in some ways, I liked it better the second time. Mm. I think it as a movie, it holds up really well. Like you said, I mean, it's made so well. Right. It's, it's hard not to like it a lot. Um, and I don't have a problem with the ending, is it a little, you know, ham-fisted, a little heavy at the end? Maybe, but it's also, it doesn't bother me. I don't, I don't mind giving the audience a little bit of, and even then, maybe that message is not even real, you know? I mean. <laughs> and I will say that's definitely maybe even a me thing, too, because I bet you there's more people that would be pissed if that wasn't there. Right. Then they were like me and was like, oh, don't explain it to me. Yeah. Was she a fucking vampire? What? Yeah. Um, <laughs> one, Zero stars. <laughs> Zero stars. She's no a vampire. vampire. <laughs> uh, so, honestly, the first time I watched it, I probably would have given it three and a half. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go four, and I kind of want to go four and a half with it. Oh, damn. I really do. I, I It's just... It's there's something I really love about this movie. It just feels perfect. I, I'm gonna do four and a half. Ah. Woo. Woo. Mm-hmm. I am a total sucker for any film that gets me thinking about it after I've watched it. Oh yeah, um, just because I think that's true art. 
when you when you're able to put something in someone's head that they can't stop thinking about that mm-hmm. they sometimes it turns out to be like somebody's just dropped a turd in your brain that you're like, can't stop smelling. But I don't think that's the case at all here. Like I really love the acting was beautiful. Um, the palette was gorgeous. Like so dreamlike. The score was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, and I say this as an absolute total compliment. Like there were times where it had a very Nicholas um, uh, winding ref feel okay. to it i could see that i get that yeah, yeah. um kind of with the the way the score works the that you don't need the to like like quality that he usually yeah has. and everything is minimalist mm-hmm. you know like you don't you don't like you said you don't have to say it just do it yeah, show, just show it yeah. um talking about it like more with you all and thinking about all of the undercurrents of it mm-hmm. i this is definitely a four four and a half for me Wow. Nice. Like, like I'll be honest, this is one of my favorite episodes we've done just because I've had so much fucking fun like talking about the film right now. It's mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to it. There's yeah. just I'm disappointed with how it like if I had a disappointment with it, it's that one, nobody fucking knows about it. And <laughs> that's what we hear, man. Yeah. Or two, the fact that it's dumped on Hulu with their um other original horror film type things. Yeah. <laughs> At least they don't, it's not like a Hulu original though. No, least. but it's like also the, the cover doesn't do it a lot of justice. Like the I poster like it. art. It's kind of a cool cover, I yeah. admit, but, but it doesn't really tell you a lot. I don't know. It is a kind of a cool cover. I liked it. I, I think it's, but is it Cause cool? Because it's got the eye patch. I was like, oh, I'm in. Yeah, but is it cool because you've seen it? I was kind of intrigued before. Okay. Because mm-hmm. it looks like a throwback to the seventies, early eighties. You know, with the design and everything and the colors. Mm-hmm. but I, And I don't know if it has a Blu-ray, but I am definitely going to buy it yeah. when or if there is I one. I think it does. Another thing, like, while I was watching this, while we were talking about it, one of the films that popped in my head was the Quick Cuts episode we did for Who's With Me. Oh, yeah. Yep. yep. Excellent. And I was thinking the same thing. It, like, it tells a similar story, really, but in taking the stages of grief mm-hmm. rather than, you know, Jungian psychology right but like it still kind of takes you through the whole experience you Mm -hmm. know like you're watching i love watching a character evolve and grow and figure things out Mm -hmm. and i think you really see sarah do that here and i'm glad you brought that up because there were a few other films i meant to seed in as we talked and i didn't get to so i'm just gonna like rapid fire them right now but in the terms of like a mind bender film which this is definitely a mind bender sure there's some that kind of do this same flow of like it's dreamlike and we don't really know what's going on. And then there's this revelation at the end. Uh, so I really wanted to mention, got to talk about Jacob's ladder. Yes. That's like one of the Kings of this kind of film. Yeah. Um, it made me think a lot about session nine. Have you guys seen that? I love session. I nine. actually haven't yeah. seen session nine. Oh, you should Michael. It's a great one. That it's could be a good it's that same thing where there's like a big revelation at the end that like Such recasts everything. Movie. And I know it's kind of maligned, but I wanted to talk about uh, John Carpenter's the ward, the last film he's ever done. <laughs> Okay. I know it's got some issues, but I think conceptually the ideas of it are kind of cool. No, I won't argue with you And there. it's in that same uh, same vein. Yeah. And then the last one I wanted to shout out, and this is a definite, like, I want to get it out there in people's mind, because um, I think it's the end of March or maybe into April, um, Ultrasound is going to be hitting, like, select theaters and VOD. Oh, yeah. Now, that was the film that I screened at Fantasia last year that I fucking loved and really, like, gunned for to, like, promote and talk about. And it, too, has that, like, a bit of Cronenberg, bit of Lynch, like, put into the blender and stirred up. 
this film very much made me think of it, but they each kind of stand on their own with their own things. Cause ultrasound is a lot about like sound frequencies and how that could like induce memories or dreams or implant stuff in people. So if you dig this film at all, definitely go look for ultrasound and it would be a great like companion piece to check yeah, out. Or if you dig those other movies you mentioned, go watch come true. And it is on, it's on Amazon. Blu-ray is uh 1748. Oh, it's bought, man. Yeah. It's done. <laughs> it's over. He's ordering it right now. <laughs> this wow. has been a fun episode. Yeah. Really fun movie. Thank you so much, Urban Groucho, for yes. recommending it so that we go back and watch it. Because it could have been just been left at Jason's, mm-hmm. you know, no, I'm what glad I watched you this did week. this, Urban Groucho, because I was too scared to bring it to them because I thought Dustin <laughs> would come back hating it. So let, let one of our <laughs> listeners do it so we can be like, <laughs> yep. well, they're fucking stupid. <laughs> Their movie sucked. <laughs> oh. Well, no, I think what we can take away from this is that our listeners have great taste because I think like every listener episode has been so far. I've yeah, dug all good. of them. Yeah. I've really yeah. liked Seriously, all of them. Yeah, no one's trolling us yet. My hats off to you, dear listeners. <laughs> Somebody's out there like, just well, I guess we should fuck with them. Let's just <laughs> we're, gonna get, we're gonna get the blood waters of Doctor Z next. We're getting weekend at Bernie's too. <laughs> have you guys seen this movie? <laughs> um, but so now it is time to launch into a new set. And Jason, you're the mastermind this time. Ooh. So what are what are we gonna be talking about for the next few episodes? Okay, the next block of films will be about made-for-TV movies. Bum, bum, bum! It could be any genre, any country of origin, as long as it was made for TV. Nice. Well, now, since Jason picked, it is technically my pick. Right, you're always first in our little little order here. Oh, I'm always first in a lot of things, Dustin. <laughs> I bet he is. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, Michael, what are, you, what are you subjecting us to? What's our starting um, point? So... I am going to choose, uh, there's kind of like a dream list, or not a dream list, but like a master list of like some of the best mm-hmm. TV movies that mm-hmm. have ever been. Well, I'm going with one off that, because I think it's underseen, um, okay. that people should fucking watch. Um, I'm going with Steven Spielberg's very first film called Duel. Which I'll be honest and admit right now, I have never seen. Um, it plays... Um, on TV, they actually play it on TV a lot still. That's how I saw it when I was a kid. Yeah, I was probably like 10 or something when I first saw it. I remember the commercials and stuff for it, but I yeah. never watched it. Uh, Sven Gulli actually shows it uh, once a year, <laughs> nice. I think. So, I, anything Sven Gulli shows, man, I, I love that guy. Um, this is unfortunately, I don't think it's streaming for free anywhere. You can rent it on Amazon Prime, a couple bucks. It's really not bad, it's worth it, people. And so, it, it's based on the story written by Richard Matheson. Which we've been dying to talk about how much we love Madison, so this gives an opportunity. Um, And we could have chosen a couple of different other uh, (laughs) made-for-TV movies that are written by Richard Matheson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, it's been a fun episode, a long episode, a kind of exhausting episode. (laughs) It's a deep movie. I'm satisfied. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm first. Um, Yeah, so until next time... Continue writing us. Continue sending mm-hmm. us in listener things. As we've stated many times before, we've got a running list of these. So if you send us something in, we do try to pick something that fits tonally. Or our mood at the time. Yeah, or, or our mood. So we're not ignoring films if you've sent them in. We're just kind of trying to feel where they where they fit right and where they work. Um, so please continue to write to send them in. If we Even if we don't get to it on an episode, I guarantee you we're going to watch them. Oh, yeah. Um, and... Dustin, I think it's probably safe to say by the time this comes out, we can start letting people know that they can find some content from us in other ways. Is that right? Yes. We, uh, we're setting up a blog for the podcast. 
Um, it's going to be genreexposure.com. Very simple, very easy to get to. It's going to catch all our podcast episodes, so they'll be there. Um, it's going to let us put like tags on the episodes, which is something I'm excited about. Um, it's not going to matter right now because we're kind of still early days, you know, but over time you'll be able to go and be like, I want to listen to every episode they've done about a Giallo because I love Giallo. And you can click that tag and it'll have every episode. I'm meticulously tagging them as awesome. they go up. And I think we're maybe going to try to start incorporating some written content because we all love to write. Yeah, I don't know if you've... Some of the previous episodes, you might have noticed that Dustin and I have written for some different websites before. Mm. Opinions on film, reviews of film, stuff like that. We still love to do that. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot that we watch that doesn't make it into the podcast. So it's just a chance to bring you more of that cool stuff. So if you like what we have to say... Yeah. Um, or if you don't, you just know where to avoid on the internet. And we're also <laughs> working on a, an 8-bit game of keeping kids off Jason's lawn, right? That will be on the... I, I didn't hear about that one. Really? Oh, no. I thought that's... We've got some NPA rating problems with that because like Jason's character keeps like shooting at kids. Oh, my God. So no. we've got some ratings problems, but it's in the works. Okay, you know, we're, we're working on, on doing what we can. Um, reach out to us on all the other socials that you've... Mm -hmm know where we are by now all, all of them <laughs> email us, us them send yet. a raven hit the socials like and subscribe <laughs> smash that subscribe <laughs> button notification <laughs> button uh until next time you guys have been listening to genre exposure bye everyone take care listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening